Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 57 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we will be talking about it. Tonight, we are recording on November 12th, 2017. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of this show. Joining me, as always, is Brad Galloway, the editor of Game Critics. How are you, Brad? I am doing good, man. How are you doing? I am doing pretty well. You know, for some reason, I don't know why this just occurred to me. Um, it, do you? I'm assuming your full name is Bradley. Do you ever go by Bradley, or is it just Brad? That is not my full name, and I just go by Brad. Really? Bradley is not your full name? That is not my full name. Every, every Like, for every five minutes in my entire life, someone says, is Bradley your name? <laughs> I get that so much. It is not my name. My name is uh, not Bradley, and I just go by Brad. Huh. That I don't know why it took me 57 shows of talking to you for that to eat. I had never thought about that before, but here we are. Is your full name Corrance? <laughs> Uh, no, as a matter of fact, it is just Corey. That's a shame because I think Corrance is a pretty cute name. <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe. I think, uh, if my parents told me that if I had been a girl, they would have named me Courtney, which is, uh, I guess uh, you can kind of see the comparison there. So, and I really, I don't like the name Courtney at all. So I'm glad I was a boy so I could be named Corey. Well, I mean, it was just uh, like one letter, basically. Corey, Court. No, I guess two letters, T and an N. Yeah. yeah, pretty close either way, but yeah, made out, I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, well, let's um, let's stop talking about our ridiculous names and move on with the show. Um, before we get rolling in the show, um, I have a little bit of housekeeping notes for the show. Uh, I have prepared an official so video game statement that I. Uh, uh, wrote, I guess. And, uh, I just want to clear some things up before we get rolling with the show proper. Um, just a heads up. If you listen to the last show, episode 56, you might have heard me go on a bit of a rant about the last of us when we were discussing the Paris games show trailers and what we thought about them. Uh, we here at so video games received some feedback and just so you know, feedback of any kind, as always, we always say this is welcome even if it is calling one or both of us out on something. Uh, After last week's show, I received a note from a listener saying he would never listen to the show ever again because of what I said regarding The Last of Us. In case you missed it, uh, to catch you up, um, I said something along the lines of, uh, if you think the story in The Last of Us is great or groundbreaking, then maybe you should read books or watch movies, because in the scheme of storytelling, I don't think The Last of Us story is really that groundbreaking or innovative. Uh, I just want to say sorry real quick for how heated and how insensitive that sounded whenever I said it, because basically uh, what it came out sounding like was, if you like this game, you're dumb and illiterate. And that's certainly not what I meant. Um, I was just kind of heated talking about going on a rant about the game and you know, my words kind of got away from me and I certainly did not mean it to sound like that. And I am sorry. Um, I want to make it clear that um, as petty as this sounds, I do still stand by my opinion about the last of a story not being that great. Uh, I do think it's a pretty generic zombie story, but I could have expressed that opinion in a little bit more of an eloquent and tasteful way. I did not, and I'm sorry about that. 
Um, I do my best to fall into the camp of letting people like what they like. Uh, however, it's a pretty thin line to walk sometimes whenever you co-host a podcast and you play and discuss several games on a weekly basis and you're expected to give your thoughts and opinions about them. Uh, I ranted a little bit a uh, step beyond maybe what I should have in that episode. Um, it's not always easy to be clever or funny or insightful on a mandatory weekly basis, especially when you start recording each show uh, at the late hour that we do, but I certainly try to do what I can every week. Um, on another note, uh, there's a good chance people who uh, provide feedback also speak on behalf of other people who can't be bothered to submit feedback for any number of reasons. So I'm sure that listener was not alone in thinking that I sounded like a total jerk, but he spoke up. And honestly, um, I do, uh, we do value that kind of feedback at the So Video Games show. Um, I value it especially because I can really figure out what's going on. So instead of getting defensive uh, whenever I receive that feedback, I actually kind of drilled down and asked for more feedback about my attitude because sometimes it's hard to know how you come off to a general audience whenever you, uh, you know, kind of get so into the groove of podcasting every week. Uh, we always say feedback is welcome. And even if you're criticizing the show, as long as you don't just stop by and say, hey, you guys are assholes and nothing else, then we'll listen to what you have to say. Um, this listener who provided the feedback was mature and thoughtful and was non-abrasive in his feedback, and we maintained a pretty good dialogue about it. Um, as always, it sucks to see a listener go, and I certainly don't want to campaign for people to stop listening to the show, but if you decide for any reason that the show isn't for you, then in my opinion, that's okay. Uh, not every podcast can be compatible for every person. Uh, I certainly have had podcasts and YouTube channels in the past that I was into at one point that I ended up unsubscribing from for various reasons at some point. Uh, it just happens. And when you're on a platform like this and you're speaking at length on topics on a regular basis, it seems almost inevitable that you'll say something at some point that'll rub someone the wrong way. So uh, basically, this is just my two cents of instead of brushing it aside or doubling down on my attitude, which happens way too often on the internet, I just want to say I'm sorry for what I said. And I will try to be more thoughtful uh, and more insightful with my opinions in the future. Um, trying to think of something, something to say to follow up. <laughs> that was a very good statement. I mean, I, I guess, um, yeah. So number one, I mean, I want to, I definitely, uh, thank you for saying that, Corey. I mean, I think that was a very, um, a good thing to say because I know you very well and I know that you're not a mean or spiteful person i know you're not like an elitist um or anything negative like that i mean i know you probably you know better than most of the listeners know you um and so i i think it's unfortunate that um someone you know took it that way i mean i get i get what you're saying and that you know sometimes the mouth gets a little ahead of the head that happens with me as well um uh, but it just so happened that this time it was your turn and someone uh spoke up about it so i, I do want to thank those people for giving us the feedback and also i want to thank you also for um for apologizing and for kind of taking responsibility, which, which is not a surprise. I mean, I know the kind of guy you are. It's not surprising to me that you would do that, but I'm glad you did because like you said, a lot of people, especially these days would probably just double down on what they said and just keep going and try to make it not their fault or blame someone else or make up some lies to cover it up or whatever. I mean, I, for me, I really respect someone who just steps up and says, I fucked up and I'm sorry. And I really respect you even more than I already did for saying that. So um, <laughs> thank you for saying that. I don't know if the people who left the show will ever come back or, or will ever know that, that um, you know, this apology was here. Hopefully they will hear it. Um, but, you know, if they don't and they felt like they wanted to leave, we totally respect that. That's true. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, any feedback people have for us is absolutely valued. We do read every comment. We hear every comment. And it has a big impact. I mean, we're a small show. 
and anything anybody says rings really loudly in our ears. So you have a lot of power as a listener. And even if one or two people say something, it's enough to actually change the course of the entire show. So um, if you're one of those people who's listening and you feel like you wanted to say something, whether it's positive or negative, and you think, oh, whatever, those guys are not going to hear my comment or they're just going to keep doing what they're doing or whatever. Like, I mean, that's not true. Like, we actually will respond to the best of our ability to any comments that come in. I mean, like you said, as long as they're not just like people taking random pot shots at us without any positive value. And if there's somebody who actually has a real for real comment, we do pay that uh, pay attention to that. So, uh, I mean, I guess that's just what I would say. Uh, hopefully people will give us a second chance. Hopefully they'll hear your apology. I'm, I'm uh, very glad you said that. And I respect you very much for saying that. Thank you for saying that. And hopefully the listeners uh, will will hear that as well. And uh, we can all move forward and, and be friends. And uh, <laughs> it's going to be all good. <laughs> Well, cool. Um, now that, um, and, and like, I, I actually, like, I know it probably sounds really cheesy whenever I just like read through that, but I actually am very sorry about what I said. And I spent uh, a pretty good chunk of time, like writing out that little, um, you know, taking the feedback and translating it and writing out that, you know, that statement, I wanted to write it down and make sure I didn't miss anything. I didn't want to say anything off the cuff um, and just be like, oh, sorry guys and move on. So um, so that's that's that. Um, I think we're ready to move on to games talk. Would you like to do that, Brad? Let's do that, man. Let's do that. Should I go first or should you go first? Uh, well, I think you should go first. And I'm pretty sure we're just going to have to make this into a regular segment because now that you're playing Warframe like 10 hours a day, every day, I'm assuming that we just need to do like a Brad's Warframe check-in segment every every episode. So I know you've been playing it. I know you've been getting up to stuff. I saw you asking people on Twitter earlier about some thing that you wanted to buy that you had like a coupon for and stuff. So uh, let's hear it. What are the new Warframe updates? Yeah, you know, having a regular segment, not a bad idea. <laughs> <I> kinda, <laughs> it's funny because, you know, I talk all the time about how little free time I have, and that's absolutely true. Um, and I think that's one reason why I've been playing so much Warframe. I mean, I think it's a great game. I, it really has triggered me on all of my Monster Hunter uh, receptors in my brain, where it's like I have a short-term goal, I have a long-term goal, I have a very long-term goal, and I'm a very <laughs> goal-oriented player. Like, I don't just play something for the fun of it. Like, I need to have a goal to work towards, because working towards that goal is the fun for me. Um I like the way it looks. I like that you can get in and do a mission. Like, you can literally, literally do a mission, like certain missions, in like one or two minutes. Longer missions. I mean, I think the longest mission is only like 10 minutes or something like that. So it's very quick. So like when I get home and I've only got like half an hour, I can get like three missions in and feel like I did something and work towards my goal and then I can get out. Because I had a number of games that I was thinking about playing this week. And I was like, every time I started to play one, I'm like, wait a minute. I don't know how long it is to the next save point and I got to leave in like 30 minutes. So I might not make it to a save point or, you know, I got half an hour now. I'm not going to have another time uh, to play game until tomorrow. And if I play something that's really important that I need to focus on today, it's very likely I will forget what I'm doing tomorrow. And then I'll feel like I have to start it again because I forgot what I was doing. So it's kind of difficult for me to take on something that's really big right now. And that will be kind of reflected in what I'm talking about. Um, so in that sense, Warframe is really like the perfect game for me at the moment. Um, it really fills that Monster Hunter hole for me where, you know, short, medium, long-term goals, you can get in and out really quickly. Um, there's always something, uh, it, it provides a lot of high octane action. So if I want to just like focus on something just for like 10 minutes, I get in, shoot some stuff, jump around, 
kill some dudes and get out. And it's so fast-paced and intense, it really captures my attention for the span of that time. And then I get back out, and then I can go back to work, or I can do the paperwork I need to do, or I can give some childcare or whatever. So in that sense, it really is like kind of a perfect fit in my life right now. And I'm finding it really hard to like not play because of just how my schedule is and, and what I can do. So, I mean, for all those reasons, it's really working for me, but I, I just, I'm really enjoying the game so much. Like it really is um, just triggering me in all the right ways. So um, I will, I will say I tried something new this weekend and this game just like is so deep and rich i know that on the surface it seems like it's just a bunch of like running and shooting and kind of doing the same missions over and over but like as you get into the details of it it's really really interesting so i was uh i was trying to craft a new a new warframe and a warframe is like a suit of armor that has different powers and they all kind of look a little different i had like three pieces and i needed four pieces so i I wanted to find that last fourth piece and there's a section in the game where it's just, it's like a flea market or a bazaar or a trading area. Um, this is probably going to sound familiar to people who play MMOs or people who play a lot of PC games. I think this is not entirely new. Uh, but on console, it's pretty unusual. You don't see a lot of these on console, which is where I primarily play. So I took my character. You fly out to the special space station where there's a bunch of people standing around. And then in the space station, you can point at a person and it'll display above their head what they have for sale. And so I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like these guys have been all playing this game and they have these extra pieces. Maybe one of these guys has the piece that I need. And so I was like walking around and looking at what people have for sale. And then I found somebody that had a piece that I needed. And I'm like, well, this is weird. Like there's no voice chat activated because I don't want to talk to people. But there's a little like chat box that pops up. And so it, it was just really embarrassing and awkward. And I felt like I was like, it almost felt like I was like buying a porno for the first time, like really embarrassing and like not sure of what the protocol was. And I was afraid someone was going to say I was doing something wrong. and I shouldn't be here and I should get out right now. And what am I doing? You're so filthy. Something like that. It was really awkward, but I got through it, talked to this person. I mean, we didn't say a lot because it's kind of arduous typing in chat in the, in the PlayStation 4 controller. But, you know, it was like, oh, you got the piece I want. How much do you want for it? Okay, that sounds reasonable to me. And I bought the piece and then I flew back to my home base and... I was pleased because I got the piece I needed. And that was kind of a cool experience. And it's kind of neat just going to this area where there's all these different people selling things. Um, like I said, I'm sure it's not very common. I mean, it's not it's not rare on PC. I'm sure there's other many, many other uh, games that do that on PC. But on console, uh, very unusual. So that was really neat. Um, the only other thing I'm going to say is I started a new Warframe. And his name is Hydroid. He kind of looks like a mix between a pirate and a pile of rotten meat. He looks really weird and gloppy and weird and tentacly and goopy uh, and he's got these powers which I think are really interesting I didn't understand how to use them at first and that's kind of a, a recurring theme with Warframe where you don't know what something is at first it makes no sense you can't figure it out you either experiment with it until you figure it out or you ask somebody and then you're like oh that's cool so like I've had that that, that exact experience like many times um, so I'm starting off with Hydroid he's kind of this blue pile of tentacles and meat and uh, like a pirate hat <laughs> on top of his head he looks really weird, and I'm just like, man, okay, what's going on with this guy? Didn't get his powers at first, but then I'm, I'm screwing around, screwing around, and then what happened was he literally turned into a puddle. So he looks like a, like, I don't know, like a guy, I guess. He turned into a flat puddle, and inside the puddle, if you shoot, instead of shooting your gun, you send out tentacles, and you grab people that are around you, and you pull them into the puddle with you, and it's like an instant kill for those guys. So, like, if you imagine, like, trying to control a point, like, you know, King of the Hill or something... And there's a whole bunch of dudes around you and you can't shoot them all at once. You turn yourself into a puddle and you start whipping your tentacles out and you just like suck them into that that puddle with you. 
so satisfying, dude. Because they can't hit you and they can't kill you. They can't touch you because you're just like water on the ground. But it's like it's like deep. Like, you know, it's like a one of those cartoon holes that people like, you know, they pull out that little hole and they stick it on a wall and then all of a sudden their hand goes inside the hole. It's like that exact thing. You're like this deep ass puddle in the middle of the ground and nobody can get you and you can pull guys in. And it's like, it's kind of like the best thing in the world. It's pretty fucking cool. So that was my my learning and exploration for the day. And then all of a sudden I started thinking Hydroid was a really fucking cool guy and I didn't mind so much that he looked like a pile of rotten meat. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's good times. It's good times. That's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> this game just keeps on giving, dude. Every time I make a new guy or every time I get a new gun or something, it's just like the best. Like there's so many little surprises and so many neat little things, but it's like, it's like neat on a small level. Like, you can get the the basic gist of the game on a macro level pretty quickly. Like, you're running missions, you're waiting for loot drops, um, you know, the combat is the combat. So, like, you can understand it on a macro level really quickly, but, like, when you re- really drill down on it, and you see, like, the little differences in, like, how each character is designed, like, their powers, or, like, the different guns, or there's so many different guns, and each one... Like, I just built this gun um, that was actually, like, alive. Like, the gun is alive. It looks like it's pulsing, and it's got, like, these weird tentacles at the front of it. And when you shoot guys, like, its tongue shoots out, and it stabs them, and it sucks the life out of them, and it gives it back to you. So, like, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I can understand, like, where I would want to use this gun as opposed to, like, a grenade launcher or as opposed to a sniper rifle or as opposed to whatever, you know? So, like, if you really like digging into, like, the details of, like, a character build or finding little specific use cases for a build, it's really cool. And that was something I spent a lot of time on in Monster Hunter. Um, my wife and I really got into Monster Hunter, like, in a huge way. I mean, we're huge Monster Hunter fans, and we would spend a lot of time, you know, picking just the right suit of armor that had just the right characteristics, that had just the right synergy with just the right weapon. And, like, you know, I mean, that's not for everybody, for sure. Like, it's not it's not something that captures everybody's attention. But if you do get some enjoyment out of that, I, I mean, I find it, like, really super satisfying. So that depth, which I appreciate, in addition to the really quick in-and-out um, bite-sized missions, I mean, it's, just, it's like, totally the perfect game for me and i really like where the developers have it right now um really excited that they're going to be having a huge huge addition of content um this coming tuesday actually they're going to make the game like twice as big as it is a whole bunch of new stuff that has not been in the game before new environments new mission types new characters uh, it's going to be a really big deal so I'm, i think i got in at just the right time because the game is in good shape better than it's ever been be- ever been before and the new content is coming like next week so i don't have to wait a long time to get it and uh yeah, man, it's just, it's totally checking off all my boxes right now, and I find it, like, basically impossible to play very much else, especially with, like, having so limited time, so sorry that this is turning into the Warframe podcast, but, man, <laughs> it's just, like, it's just so easy to play, it's so easy to play, like, it's hard to not play this, because it's just, that's where my life is at right now. Well, I, I mean, there's not a whole lot I can say about Warframe, but there's one thing I can say about, um, about the fact that the people that make Warframe, uh, Digital Extremes is a developer that makes Warframe. That's right, right? Digital Extremes? Yeah, that's correct. They're in Canada, huh? Um, I I can say one thing that I love about Digital Extremes is they, and this is totally unrelated to Warframe, but I just want to like get my like little like Digital Extremes like fanboy bit on right here. Um, Digital Extremes made the sequel to the video game The Darkness. Uh, they made The Darkness 2, which is a... I feel like it was a sequel that nobody really saw coming because the first Darkness was kind of a big deal and I feel like there was a lot of hype behind it and it was like a big, you know, like graphic novel to video game adaptation and, 
you know, it was like slightly open world, like first person shooting and, you know, all this stuff. And, and uh, I played the first darkness and I thought it was just all right. Like it was fine. And digital extremes did not make the first darkness. And, um, they made the second darkness. And I remember I did not play the darkness too until probably like a couple years ago. And it was like several years old at that point. Cause it was on the 360 and the PlayStation three. And, I absolutely adore The Darkness 2. I don't know if I've ever talked about this on this podcast or on the Game Critics podcast, but, like, The Darkness 2 is like a diamond in the rough. Like, the game is nothing more than, like, running around and shooting and using your, like, tentacle powers, but it has such a wonderfully unexpected story. Like, it's got this whole, like, meta story going on where it's, like, uh... You know, it's like a psychological thriller where it's like, is this stuff happening? Is it not happening? Like, what's going on? And a lot of the writing in it is genuinely really funny. And I, like, if... I remember, I think I, like, game-flied The Darkness 2 because I was at a point where I had, like, literally nothing else to play. And it was just one of those games in the very, very back of my mind that I had always thought, like, well, maybe I should try this. And I rented it. I adored it and I bought it uh, afterward. I have a, a copy on my on my bookshelf and I mean I've probably played through the game like four or five times. I think that game is phenomenal and nobody talks about it. So I'm really happy for no other reason that at least Digital Extremes is still alive and well and that they're able to harness this free-to-play model with Warframe and really um, really be a successful case with it because I uh, I'm just happy for them because I feel like they're the kind of developer that could have come out with like three games and then, you know, gone under and nobody would have ever heard from again. And I know free to play is not the easiest market to survive in. So I'm glad that they're doing really well for themselves right now. It seems like they're really successful with all the content that they're coming out with for the game and all the expansions and everything. So uh, I'm happy about this. I'm glad for them. Yeah, they have really stuck with it and their tenacity has really paid off. I mean, the game is bigger than it's ever been. Um, they're doing better than they've ever done. I mean, the game itself is in a great place. And, uh, you know, the fan base is really strong. They've made the free-to-play model work for them in a really inoffensive way where it doesn't feel like they're getting nickel and dime for things. It's 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 the kind of free-to-play which is the rarest kind where it, it, people, like, participate because they want to and because they like, they feel like they're getting a good value out of it uh, rather than, like, oh, I have to pay this or else I can't play anymore, which is, like, the negative side of it. Um, you don't feel like you're missing out, which I think is a really tough trick to pull off. And I think they pull it off really well, which is great. Um, they also just launched a comic book. Uh, there's a number one comic book that just came out, I think this week or last week. So you can read more about that. And they also just FYI, they also have a store online where you can buy several Warframe themed items. I may have gone to this store, Corey, and I may <laughs> I may have bought matching hats for my wife and me. Maybe. Oh my god. Not saying that I did that, <laughs> but I might have. You never know. So I may be wearing a Warframe hat this winter. We'll see. You're such a dork. Oh man, I had to do it. I had to do it. I wanted to buy one of everything, but I didn't. But uh, yeah, it's a, a great game. I'm really loving it. And it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I feel like if you are Somebody who is like Destiny, if you have like Monster Hunter, or if you want something that's really, really fast action and you can have little bite-sized chunks of it, it's good. I, I mean, I didn't like it before. I love it now. I'm like, I'm in fucking like balls deep right now, dude. Like just, I couldn't get any further into it right now. So really, really loving it. Um, let me let me check in really quickly on something else, though, um, since we're doing quick check-ins. Uh, the only other console that I've spent like a ton of time with this week uh, was still the 3DS, believe it or not. 
I have the Switch sitting at my house, and it's got like 10 games on it. I have not touched it. Uh, I guess let's talk about that for a second, if you don't mind the divergence. Um, no, I like the Switch a lot. I like the Switch a lot. I think it's a great piece of hardware. I think it's really lovely. My wife is playing, uh, you know, as we, as we discussed, Mario Odyssey. And she likes it, too. It's a really cool piece of kit. But I got to be honest, dude, I don't like to take it with me because, number one, it's so expensive that I'm really afraid I'm going to, like, drop it or someone's going to steal it out of my backpack when I'm out looking or it's going to attract too much attention in some place where I I don't want attention. Like, it's it's bigger than a 3DS and it's eye-catching. You know, it's not just like a phone. Like, anybody can whip out a phone. Nobody looks twice at that. But when you have a, a Switch out, it really attracts attention, especially in, in certain places. And I don't feel comfortable you know, taking it out on a bus or like just out somewhere, like in an office or something. I feel like it's, it attracts too much attention. And I, I just feel like I don't want to bring it with me because I'm afraid I'm going to lose it or, or drop it or something's going to happen to it. And then like my whole console will be gone. Right. Like I get kind of paranoid about it. So I don't really bring it with me anywhere. Um, maybe I would take it with me like on a trip. Like if I was going to go on a flight or something, maybe I would do that. Probably would feel okay doing that. But like, but when we're talking about like on a day-to-day basis, I just don't want to bring it with me. I just don't like to bring it with me. Um, but I would bring uh, a Vita. I have brought a Vita with me in the past. I have brought a 3DS with me in the past. But I feel like the Switch is just like one notch too far. So <laughs> I know you don't have a Switch yet. And so, I, you know, I can't get your opinion on that. But that's really been bothering me. And I asked people about that. I'm like, do you, do you feel comfortable bringing it with you. And a, a large number of people, actually larger number than I would have expected, said, yes, they do feel comfortable bringing it with them and they bring it with them every day, which is cool because I think it's a good console and I like it a lot. But man, I just I just get real, I feel real weird about bringing it with me. I feel nervous when I bring it with me in a way that I didn't feel nervous with the Vita or the 3DS. So I don't know how much switch time I'm going to get unless I just actually sit home and leave it in dock mode or something or maybe I'll maybe it'll be like my bedtime console maybe but I don't know I just like I like it a lot I've not you know I'm not not shit talking it but I just don't feel comfortable bringing it with me so I don't know that's just uh that's a thing that's a thing with me um but anyway sorry to get back to my my (laughs) check-in my other yeah I know we're like we're all over the map tonight folks hang tight (laughs) Uh, the other check-in, I just wanted to talk about Shovel Knight real quick, because I've been bringing the 3DS with me, and I've been, uh, I talked about Spectre Knight, the, uh, Spectre of Torment DLC, uh, episode or two ago, and at that time, I mentioned that I had played the Plague Knight DLC, I didn't finish it, but I wanted to come back to it, so I decided to go ahead and go back to it now, and now that I'm playing it, I totally remember why I stopped playing it, because it was their first, uh, attempt, Yacht Club Games, they were their first attempt at DLC, for Shovel Knight, and I think they got some things right, and I think they got some things wrong. And now that I came back to it, I'm like, oh, that's right. Yeah. Now I remember what I didn't like about it. So just to recap really quick, you have not played Shovel Knight, or you have? I have not played Shovel Knight. Okay. So when I went back to the Plague Knight DLC, I had forgotten that they had basically copied the entire map from Shovel Knight. And they had kind of made the player go through all of the, the little interstitial areas they had given Plague Knight his own, like, really intricate set of, like, power-ups. He has a bunch of um, magic potions he can use, and there are components to the potions. You have, like, uh, the bottle, you've got the gunpowder inside, and then you've got, like, one or two other modifiers. So there's, like, kind of a lot to kind of manage, and as you go through a level, I often find that I have to, like, stop what I'm doing, rearrange my potions, kill a couple guys, okay, stop what I'm doing, go back, rearrange my potions again, 
keep going, stop, rearrange my potions. And it's kind of a fucking drag. Like, it's really <laughs> annoying. Um, I'm trying to find, like, the optimal build for my potions, and I just don't find one optimal one. So, like, to have to stop playing and, like, go through that little micromanagement is a real pain in the ass. Also, the one really crucial flaw in this game is that uh, Plague Knight can do a super jump, but you have to hold down the attack button. So they kind of built every level in the game around this mechanic. But what this means is you have a jump and a double jump and that's on one button, but then you have to hold the attack button and then let go when you want to do your super jump. So what happens is you're often having to like keep your finger on one button and then like with your the, the corner of your finger, hold another button down and try to like jump, jump, do the double jump and then let go to do the super jump and then also manage like your trajectory at the same time which is too much. Like it's too clunky. I mean, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm putting up with it and I'm getting through it and I see what they wanted to do with it. Like they wanted to make him have different mobility than Shovel Knight does and they achieve that, but I don't think in the proper way. So it's really kind of annoying to do the micromanagement and it's really kind of annoying to like have to like do that finger gymnastics <laughs> to do these really like tough jumps. It's just, it's too much and it's not elegant enough. And it's ironic that I finished Spectre Knight's content first because I think the Spectre Knight stuff is actually a reaction to the Plague Knight stuff because I think they realized they went overboard and kind of made some mistakes on Plague Knight. And when you go to Spectre Knight, super elegant. They don't have any of the fat uh, between the levels. You just pick a level and go. His movement is like all super coordinated. Like the buttons feel really good. Like it makes sense how he moves. It feels very natural. It feels very exciting to move him. So that to me is definitely like a big step up. Like it's it's definitely correcting the mistakes they made in Plague Knight. So I don't want to say that Plague Knight is bad. I mean, I'm enjoying it and I think he's a neat character. He's kind of funny. I, I like him as a character, but mechanically playing it, definitely kind of a wrong turn for them. So I'm glad that they course corrected with Spectre Knight. And I'm really curious now to see where they go with King Knight. That's the next one coming up pretty soon. So with the lessons learned, I'm expecting King Knight to be pretty good. So we shall see, fingers crossed. And, uh, yeah, that's it. So that's basically the most of what I've been playing. I got a couple more games to talk about tonight, but that's where the, the bulk of my time has been this week. So, um, I talked for like a bazillion, jillion years. <laughs> Let's talk with you, Corey. I'm curious. Did you ever finish, uh, Wolfenstein, the new Colossus? Uh, I did. I finished it about two, like two nights ago or so. It is already nestled in a usps truck i hope on its way back to gamefly hq to get me another game at some point but um yeah i finished it and um now that i have completed wolfenstein the new classes i feel like i can offer like maybe more insight on the game because whenever i whenever we last talked about it i was about three or four hours in and uh, the game only, I can't remember, I feel like an idiot because like as soon as I put it in the mailbox, uh, I put it in like a USPS, like, you know, Dropbox thing. And as soon as I got home from dropping it off, I was like, God damn it. I forgot to check my save file to see how long I played. Cause thank goodness Bethesda's really good about, uh, labeling the time you've spent playing the game in their save files. And I totally forgot to look, I'm pretty sure it was about 13 to 15 hours if I'm not mistaken. So like a pretty like mild, um, you know, campaign length, like it's not, not too long, not too short. Uh, it's pretty, pretty good length. Um, but, uh, I, I'm having such a hard time grappling with Wolfenstein because I like Wolfenstein, the new Colossus, but I feel like I'm not as in love with it as everybody else is. 
And I feel like there's just something going on with the story in it that is like either like flying over my head or I just don't get it like everyone else does. And and well, I what can't. Do you, what do you mean? What do you mean? I don't know. Like, cause everybody's just talking about like, like, oh, it's such a great story. It has such great writing and like the characters are so great and it's so earnest and like, like, yeah, it's like goofy cause it's Wolfenstein, but like the really heavy parts really like hit home. And like, I literally saw, um, like Game Informer tweeted out an article the other day and they were like, the, the tweet said something like, like, oh, is it possible that Wolfenstein the New Colossus could have, like, the best story in gaming? Like, this editor, like, talks about it. And, like, I didn't read the article, but I, I looked at the tweet and I was like, like, the best story in gaming? Like, this is, like, way far down on my list for, like, you know, what I would consider to be the best story. But I, I don't know. Like, the problem I think I have with this game is that it's... I, I feel like it's it's a scenario where... Like, because it has a lot of writing and a lot of cutscenes, that people think that that means it's better. Like, you know, like more writing is, that means it like has to be good, right? It's kind of like how people like, people defend like the Metal Gear Solid series because I mean, Metal Gears are notorious for having like really long cutscenes, a lot of dialogue, a lot of talking. And... And, you know, I love the Metal Gear games. Like, Metal Gear Solid Five, notwithstanding, I'm a huge Metal Gear fan, but I still am sensible enough to realize that the writing in the Metal Gear Solid games is usually terrible. Like, it's pretty, you know, not great writing. And and I feel like I'm kind of in that same boat with, with uh, Wolfenstein 2. Like, it just has a lot of writing and a lot of cutscenes, and I feel like it's really a lot of unnecessary, like a lot of unnecessary characters, a lot of unnecessarily uh, unnecessary dialogue, a lot of them trying to make like, um, you know, like on one hand, they're trying to make like some kind of like hard hitting, like emotional moments. But on the other hand, like all of the gameplay is you like running down corridors with like a space laser in one hand and a triple barrel shotgun in the other, like shooting enemies. And it just like, there's just this like dissonance there that I can't connect the two for it to have enough of a payoff for me. Like it's the kind of game where every time a cutscene started, I would just immediately disconnect from what was going on in the game. And like, I would stop caring about the characters. I would stop caring about what was going on. And it's paced really strangely in a way where like, uh, the game kind of kind of almost has like a pretty clear kind of like first half and second half because there's a thing that happens in the middle that kind of like changes a little bit of the way you play the game and you get like a like a, an upgrade you get to choose an upgrade and like it kind of changes a little bit the way that you can play the game and I feel like that you know that didn't happen for me until about six and a half hours in and the game's like 13 to 15 hours long at least my playthrough was and I feel like the thing that happens in the middle should have happened, like, really close to the start. Because it just, like, it, it kind of makes the second half of the game feel a lot different than I was expecting. And I don't know. It's just, I just have a really hard time, like, hashing this out. Like, I mean, this the minute-to-minute gameplay is fine enough, but it's also nothing that you haven't played before. It's just running around and shooting Nazis, which, you know, I mean who couldn't use that in 2017 except for white supremacists and 
but but it's just like all of the emotional weight that the story was trying to carry i just it didn't connect with me at all and i just i don't know it's just weird i i don't i don't know brad well i guess let's go back to um let's go back to the d real quick um to the d dissonance uh <laughs> um sorry that was me trying to be funny it didn't work let's move on uh, I mean, we can I, I've been waiting for this moment my whole life for you to ask me to talk about the D, Brad. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> All right, good. You saved it. Thank you. Yes, appreciate appreciate the save. Um, so that happens to me a lot in shooters. I, I, I guess I'm more sensitive to it than than perhaps other people, just because you know I am a critic. I spend a lot of time. Also, I'm a writer, so that really is like another factor too. So I am definitely sympathetic to what you're saying here, and I wonder. So, like, is it the dissonance? Like, is it because you're just shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting? I mean, I'm assuming that you don't do much other than shooting. Let's let's talk about that for a second. Uh, of course you shoot. It's Wolfenstein. Do you do anything besides, like, shooting with different guns? Like, is there some some other sort of content that you do, some other sort of puzzle solving? Or I mean, is there anything besides the shooting? Uh, Not really. I mean, the shooting, the only thing that really changes things up is, like, I mean, the game, it's kind of like Mass Effect in a way where, like, there's, like, a central hub area that you kind of come back to between every mission. Like, you're on a U-boat. And so, like, there's a little bit of stuff, like, between missions where you're just, like, walking around and, like, you can talk to the crew or you can do, like, little, like, side activities on the sub or you can just, like, press right onto the next mission. And, like, in the shooting segments, like, there's the option to be stealthy. Um, but the game doesn't really have a lot of, like stealth mechanics like there's no like cover system there's no like you know anything like that it's basically there's like a lean like that's about as you know the only mechanic they have is you like hold down l1 and you can like lean out from corners to look um and like you know there's something really satisfying about the stealth in this game but it's also really infuriating because this game has the kind of stealth system to where like you know, say you like turn a corner and enemy sees you. And if they see you in about one second flat, every enemy in the entire level knows exactly where you are. And they just start coming out of corridors to shoot at you. And it's, it's really unsatisfying in that way because it's like, feels very old fashioned, very like unrealistic and kind of silly um, and frustrating. Um, and like the, the upgrade that you get later, um, has the option of helping you be stealthy. And I feel like it's kind of like a too little too late kind of thing. Cause you spend half the game, like kind of like under really difficult stealth conditions. And then like halfway through the game, they're like, Oh, we're finally going to throw you a little bit of a bone here and like, let you have the option of picking this thing that lets you like be a little more stealthy, a little bit easier. And it just kind of feels like it's like a little bit like too little too late to me. Um, but that, that was a really long explanation to explain to you that most of the game is just shooting. Okay, so, I mean, I can see how, like, if the cutscenes that are supposed to be, I don't know, relevant or touching or whatever, I mean, if all you do is go back to just shooting more Nazis um, in the gameplay sections, I mean, that doesn't make for a very compelling experience. And maybe people are more inclined to cut this game some slack. Uh, because I think everybody is really happy being on an anti-Nazi tip this year, which, I mean, <laughs> myself included, fuck all Nazis. No doubt about that. But maybe people are giving it more of a pass, or maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe it's just kind of capitalizing on the zeitgeist right now, and people are just really into that. But, I mean, then again, then again, I kind of do agree that sometimes games that are very verbose do seem to win favor. Um, I'm not going to... I'm not going to... Uh, 
boy, get myself any fans for this, but I, I think that um, <laughs> Near Automata is like another good example of that. Where oh boy, here we go. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I was a little hesitant to say it, but you know, I see people <clears throat> just today. I saw a number of people go on about how incredible it was and how it's their game of the year by a mile, et cetera, et cetera. And that's fine. I mean, if people like it, you know, no, no disrespect there. But I think that's another game where it's not the writer's best work. And I I kind of think that just in comparison to the other things we've gotten this year, people are like giving it more of a pass than they should actually get. So I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe it's just that, you know, maybe you're just not um, clicking because the delivery of the story is not optimal. I mean, it's really tough to be emotionally involved when you go back to, uh, you know, just kicking ass and firing off a bazillion bullets and then you stop and then what you're supposed to like feel sad about something or you're supposed to... I don't know, have a moment with somebody. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's kind of like that. I mean, it's like, I mean, that's like kind of what the game is trying to do. Like there's segments where it's like, you know, like for example, like the last time we talked about uh, the game, I was telling you about how at the very beginning of the game, it kind of sets up this like, you know, this totally unexpected like backstory for like the main character, uh, BJ Blaskowitz. It talks about like, you know, how his father was kind of abusive and how, like, you know, it shows, like, a couple vignettes about, like, how he was abusive to his mom and how, like, he wasn't a very good dad and he was, like, really racist and, like, all this stuff. And it, like, tries to cram all these qualities in to, uh, to you know, to make him look like the, the worst, you know, possible human they possibly can. So, like, from the get-go, it already feels like overkill. And then there comes a point later in the game where, like, that situation like kind of resolves itself and I'm not, you know, going to say how or why or what happens. Um, so like, you know, that kind of ties itself up, uh, itself up, but like the game early on spends a lot of time, like trying to establish this backstory for BJ that was so over the top that I couldn't buy into it. And then like kind of wraps itself up maybe like four hours in and then like kind of like forgets the whole thing. And like, it kind of does that where it'll be like in one mission, like BJ will say out loud to himself, like, you know, some kind of like problem that some kind of like new problem that he like, you know, is like thinking about like, cause in the game, his girlfriend in the game, Anya, who was in the first game, she's pregnant. And, you know, so there'll be like in one mission, he'll bring up out of nowhere, like, Oh, you know, I am. And it's like grumbly, like, you know, Texan voice. He's like, Oh, I, I need to be there for my kids. And I'm worried I'm not going to make it. And then like, in the next cutscene, he like talks to Anya about it, and then like he doesn't talk about it for the rest of the game. So it kind of the game just kind of like invents like what's trying to be a really heartfelt problem out of nowhere, and then solves it like thirty minutes later, and then just like doesn't bring it up for the rest of the game. And I I just really can't take it seriously. And and on top of that, like you know the game has a really big cast of characters and it has a lot of side characters, but. I feel like a lot of the characters are just, like, they're more, like, caricatures than characters. Um, because, you know, BJ, the lead character, he's, like, the burly white guy that speaks in a Batman voice who's, like, you know, really, like, brutal, I guess. And then, like, the the guy who's, like, the scientist on the ship is, like, the mad, sci- like the mad German scientist or something. And then, like, th- there's two... So you have a choice between two side characters early in the game. And, like, if you pick... Um, I can't remember his name, but he's like, he's like a Scottish dude. And he's like the angry Irish dude. And then like, there's a woman who's leading your team named Grace. And she's like the sassy black woman. And it's just like, and it just seems like every character isn't really that well developed. It's just kind of like, 
Uh, you know, and it's like his dad. It's like the racist white dad. And I mean, I know that there are people that are like that in, in the real world, but it just seems like just kind of stereotypical and it doesn't really let me... Um, I don't, I just, like, I just don't believe it. Like, the game is, like, really pushing me on, like, trying to make it believable. And there's, like, scenarios in the game where, like, Anya, who is, like, several months pregnant with twins, like, half the game, like, BJ's talking about how he, like, doesn't want to die and, like, wants to be there for the kids and wants to raise them and, like, wants to protect them. And then she's, like, out in the battlefield, like, shooting assault rifles while she's pregnant with twins. (laughs) Meanwhile, there's, like... 50 tertiary characters on the sub that I'm sure can handle a gun. And it just, like, it does not make any sense. Like, I I kept waiting for the game to set up some, like, big thing where she, like, gets shot in the battlefield and, like, you know, are her kids going to be okay? But it's just, like, you know, it's like she might as well not even be pregnant because she's, like, out, like, running in the streets and shooting and, you know, killing people and, like, is pregnant. And, I mean, I could see if, like you know, there were only, like, four people on the sub, and they absolutely needed, like, everyone in the missions and giving it all they've got, you know, because, you know, even if she's pregnant, she, like, has to be, you know, boots on the ground, but that's not how it is, because there are so many people on the sub, and I, I just can't buy into it, and I mean, I still like the game, like, I'm not trying to be, like, an asshole right here, but, like, I, I just can't buy into what the story is doing, and, I don't know. It's just weird to see so many people who are talking about like how they think the writing is so great and it's so heartfelt and it's so earnest. And I just, I don't, I just can't, I can't get on board with it. It's so, I I don't know. There's just that chip in my head that's missing that, you know, doesn't let me like get taken away by this kind of storytelling or something. And it's, I don't know. I, I just, I wish I could connect with it like other people are, but it's just not doing it for me. Well, I mean, not every game is for everybody. And I have to say, I mean, I had a very similar experience with that first Wolfenstein. I mean, I think I referenced it earlier, but, you know, people were selling the first Wolfenstein or you know, not the first, but, you know, the, the one previous to this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, saying that was game of the year and I had to play it and it was so emotional. And I, I bounced the fuck off of that. I mean, I was just talking <laughs> to somebody the other day about that because I was considering giving it another go, quickly talk myself out of it. But, you know, they were like, oh, you know, you just you get into it and then it just gets really good and you just go on. I'm like, man, it just never got good for me. And they're like, Oh, you got to play longer. <laughs> and of course that's when my, I'm just like, Oh God, you know, the old, you got, you didn't get to the good part yet. Uh, kind of yeah. thing, <laughs> you know, you got to get through the first six hours. And I'm like, Oh my God, dude, that's like an eternity. So, I mean, don't feel bad. I mean, I think, I don't know. Something about Wolfenstein is like, either you really like it or you don't. And I just think there's certain people out there that are just not, that are in the don't camp. I think you and I are in the don't. So I, you know, I haven't played number two, but you're, you're, singing the tune that I was singing about number one. So I, I kind of feel where you're coming from. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of the weird thing too, is like, I I had mentioned this on the last show, I think, but like the first one or, you know, the new order, the last one, if you will, um, it, you know, it took me a couple tries to get into like the first time I tried to play it, I basically did the same thing you did and I bounced off of it really hard. And then for whatever reason, I tried it again. And eventually I came to really like that game. And I don't think I like, I think maybe I enjoy that game's story a little bit more because it's trying to do less. Like, it's trying to be, um, you know, I don't know. The scope just seems less, and, like, the villains seem better. And and I, I liked that one better than I liked the new Colossus. Like, I would have rather just have played that one again because the mechanics are basically exactly the same. So it's not like you know, playing the new Colossus, they've added all these, like, new layers of depth to the gameplay. No, it's just the exact same first-person shooting. Like, 
So I don't know. I, I, I like the first one and I like it better than this one. And I just, I don't know. I guess I'm just sad that I couldn't get fully on board with this one. Although I played all of it and I played all the side missions. I did every bit of that game that I could. Um, but I just, I don't know, just lukewarm for me, I guess. Well, that's the way it goes. I mean, that feeling of like, man, I don't see what everybody else sees in it. I mean, I, I know that feeling. I, I understand that feeling. Sometimes you just feel like you're just not seeing what everybody else is seeing. But, you know, that's just the way it goes sometimes. That's just not everything is everybody's bag. So, oh, well. I mean, at least you say, at least you can say you finished it. At least you can speak with authority on it. I mean, no one can pull out the old, oh, you didn't get to the good part on you. So at least you can <laughs> say that. That's something. So, oh, well. Oh, well. Let me uh, let me tell you about uh, a little game that I've been playing. Very I'm dying to of. hear about this, by the way. Yeah. Okay, so I got to collect myself before I talk about this. Sorry. <laughs> I, wa- I want you to know I watched the trailer before we started recording so I could, like, really see what this was all about because I had no fucking clue what this was, and now I want to hear about it. Okay, so you did watch the trailer. Before I talk about this, okay, so this game is called ace of seafood not kidding it's called literally called ace of seafood if you watch the trailer and you and we haven't talked about this yet did you understand anything about what was going on in that trailer it no it looked like it looked like oh god it looked like a first person like tank or like submarine like battle simulator against like fish wildlife in the ocean. It's pretty fucking close. It's pretty close. <laughs> so Ace of Seafood. I can't believe that it was released originally in 2016 and it just got to us in 2017. What it is, is kind of like what you said. You take control of a fish, an actual fish. You can choose at the beginning of the game. There's like a salmon there's like a lobster, <laughs> there's a shrimp, there's a, I don't know, like a fucking cod or something. I don't know. There's like, there's like five l- real life fish to choose from or seafood anyway, undersea creatures. You pick one. I pick the salmon. And what happens is it looks like a real fish or as real as possible because this game's graphics are terrible. <laughs> uh, but you, you have the salmon. And so you have different powers. You have like your scales. You can shoot off your scales and they act like homing missiles. You shoot a laser out of your mouth. You can dash <laughs> As salmon forward. do. They as do salmon that, do. Yeah. As salmon do. Everyone knows that. <laughs> salmon laser, real thing. That's why they're so fucking expensive at the store because, because fishermen die trying to catch these things. Uh, you can rush forward and bite things. And it's got like one other power. Also, now this is where it gets a little bit crazy. So stay with me. <laughs> as you're as you're swimming throughout the ocean, you can defeat other fish of any species that you come across. And if you defeat enough of them, you like gain their DNA, and then you can go to a menu in the game. And if you have enough of the DNA, you can craft that fish that you've defeated, and it can become like a wingman in your fish squadron. And so you can have like you're the salmon, and you can be surrounded by like three sardines and a crab and then you're swimming through the ocean (laughs) you can move them into different formations by pushing the d-pad you can be like um fight on your own defend me follow me or you know whatever there's like four different formations or something like that shield me i think is the other one and you swim around and the point is to like take over these like reefs i guess that are in the ocean you want to control the whole map and that's basically how it goes so okay so like let me let me back up a little bit on paper <laughs> talking about this this game's fucking awesome i love the way i love this idea 
I love the idea of being a laser shooting homing scale salmon with a wingman who is a fucking crab. I mean, that <laughs> speaks to me, speaks to me on a very core level. Like I'm in, in love with the concept of this game. I think it's a fabulous idea. Kind of reminds me of how crazy Tokyo Jungle was when that came out a few years ago. Do you remember Tokyo Jungle? I remember it, but I did not play it, sadly. So that was another really batshit off-the-wall game. Tokyo <laughs> Jungle is an awesome game, though, much better game than this is. Uh, and that was a, a game where humans disappeared, and you were um, a number of different animals in downtown Tokyo. You start off as a Pomeranian, and then you can, like, take over different animals, and your, your quest was to, like, figure out what happened to the humans. It was kind of a roguelike also. Really weird, bizarre game. It was just off the wall. Same kind of sensibility here with Ace of Seafood. Really just nuts, just crazy, bizarre. So I like that idea. I like the idea of, like, you know, capturing different fish, making them your friends, swimming through the ocean, shooting shit with your salmon laser. And, I mean, that that's awesome. That's all awesome. The only problem is that this game is fucking garbage, and it's really terrible, and it's awful. Uh, graphics are terrible. It, lo- it literally looks like a PS1 game that just got a straight <laughs> port. The menus look like PS1 menus. The graphics look like PS1 graphics. The translation is awful. The tutorial is awful. And all of those things would be okay. I would give those a pass. I'm not saying I would give this game a 10 out of 10, but it would be playable even still. But the problem is that it's hard as fuck. And if you have a really weird game that's bizarre and crazy and kooky and the production values are really low, you have to make it playable. That, that is the secret. You have to make your game fucking playable. This game is not playable because it is so fucking hard. I die like every 30 seconds in this game. I understand the basic mechanics of how to move your fish and what to do, but everything is so difficult. Like the very first enemy I ran into was like literally three prawns and they fucked me up. (laughs) Three prawns jacked my fucking king salmon and I was dead. I was, you know, they took me apart. They took me apart. They ate my remains. They shit me out. It was over. It was, it was bad. So then I'm like, okay, man, those prawns are much tougher than they look. I'm going to go to this other place. I'm going to fight this, I don't know, like whatever fucking fish it was. Fucked me up. And I'm like, oh my God, every fish I'm fighting is fucking me up. And I, you know, I eventually, I mean, I got like a sardine. I was able to kill enough sardines to make a sardine buddy. And I'm like, okay, well, I got a wingman now. Maybe this will help. Didn't help. Didn't help at all. Uh, Got a little further and I got to a place where... There were even bigger fish, like some of those like real big, bad deep sea fish. And they, surprise, surprise, fucked me up. And I'm like, this is not fun. Like no matter where I go, I'm getting just rocked and I can't make any progress. And the game is already really ugly and really awkward to control. And production values are really low. And like I said, I could forgive that if it was fun to play or at the very least, if I was making progress, but it is way too fucking hard. And I just got really, really frustrated. And I'm not going to sit there and put up with a game that is just tearing me to pieces while it's also ugly, while it's also poorly translated, (laughs) while it also looks like, you know, hard to control. I mean, like, that's too many negatives in the negative box. Like, there's got to be some positives. And the concept is gold. I give it that. I love the concept. But the concept alone is not enough to keep this game afloat. And I just, I had to bail. Um, I may go back to it one more time because I'm going to write a short piece about it on Game Critics. And I feel like I need to just see a little bit more. But uh, I wish it was I wish it was easier. If it was the kind of game that you just turn on, it's goofy, you laugh, you just steamroll through the campaign, that would have been perfect. That would have been fine. I would have been happy to recommend it to people who just want to laugh or just want something really bizarre and oddball. I mean, this game is just Japanese as fuck. Like, there's no getting around it. <laughs> uh, but it's just way too hard to enjoy. I don't, I, I don't want to work so hard 
to get into a game that kind of offers like so little. It's like it's like a, a game jam game that's like a joke and they didn't really finish it and they released it. So love the concept. It is golden. But man, I do not like playing this game. And that is a real shame because I was ready to embrace this one with open arms. So Ace of Seafood, that's that's what it is, man. That is what it is. I am so mad because I knew <clears throat> as you were explaining like the premise of this game, it sounded so good that I knew in the the depths of my heart that you were going to come out at the end and say that it was terrible. And I am really mad that this game is hard and bad for it because it sounds impeccable. I'm really mad too, because I love giving <laughs> games like this a chance, like games like this in the PS one and the PS two era, those are my bread and butter, man. Like I, lo- I lived on these games. I, I was, I mean, so many crazy games like, um, St- like power shovel, I think was a game where you, you played like an excavator excavator simulator. That was really fun. Mr. Mosquito, where you played a mosquito. That was really fun. Um, there was so many weird oddball games from Japan that had shitty production values, but they had great ideas and they were fun. I could get, I can get down with that, but it cannot be shitty and also really hard to play. It just can't be. And this game strikes out completely, which is a shame because God, like I just salmon laser, like how awesome is that? Salmon shoots a fucking laser. I just, I just, yeah, it's sad. It's really sad. So, um, love the idea. If you see it for like a dollar and you know you're only going to play it for five minutes. You just want it to laugh. I mean, sure. But like as a game, I really, really can't recommend it. And I wish the developers had eased it back because it's just way too fucking hard. So anyway, I'm super sad about Ace of Seafood. Um, good idea. Not good to play. Something that I really want to hear your opinion on is uh, what you're about to talk about next. I reviewed this game, Bound. Did you read my review of this or have we talked about this on the show before? I have definitely not read your review. I don't think we've talked about it because this game came out like a few months before the we before we started this podcast. So I don't think we've talked about it. Interesting. Okay, I'm not going to say anything, but I did give this game a full review at Game Critics, and I did play it all the way. So I'm not. I'm just going to shush. Why don't you tell us about Bound? What it's about? What do you think? And then I'll chime in at the end. <clears throat> All right. Okay. Here we oh, go. Wait, 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 wait. Also, whoa, whoa. I want I want you to guess whether I liked it or not at the end. Oh God, this is gonna be hard. Um, this is gonna be fun. Good, good, good guessing game. Okay. All right. Let's begin. So let's talk about Bound. Bound uh, came out in August of 2016, which I'm really mad about because I could have sworn it came out this year, and then uh, I looked it up and I was like, what the fuck? That came out last like two summers ago. So it came out August 2016. If I'm not mistaken, this was like one of the indie darlings that Sony picked for its like, you know, every once in a while they do like the thing where they put out like five indies like each a week. And if you like pre-order them, you get like 10% off or something like that. Was that the case for this, Brad? Do you remember? Yeah, I think it was even the kickoff game for the summer they did that. It was like the summer of indies or whatever. And that was, yeah, this was the lead off. Yeah, so... They so this was like kind of supposed to be like a heavy hitter for for Sony and what the game is is basically mm-hmm. it's like this really colorful really kind of abstract like artsy looking uh, third person kind of like platformer kinda where you play as a woman who. Um, it's kind of like a dancer. She's like a ballerina. And, um, you know, it's kind of hard to tell what this game is about just from looking at trailers or screenshots and stuff because most of the trailers or the screenshots, it's just like a really 
sort of bright abstract world and it's this kind of beautiful um you know ballerina looking woman like doing some kind of dance move or like in some kind of pose or you know like dancing and running around the environment so I wasn't 100% sure what to expect going in and I actually didn't look up like the Metacritic score or anything before I started playing this I don't I don't know how I avoided it but um I, I kind of had no idea what the popular opinion on this game was whenever I went in but I played all of it uh, this evening before we recorded the show. And the reason why I played it, just heads up, this game is uh, one of the two free PlayStation Plus games this month. So um, if you're listening and this sounds interesting to you and you have PS Plus, then you can get it for free because it's one of the free downloads. And I had always had my eye on this game because it looks like a game that I would enjoy. You know, it's abstract, it's colorful, um, it doesn't look, it didn't look uh, difficult or, you know, like too like intense uh, from the trailers or anything. It just looks kind of like, I mean, I hate using this uh, as a descriptor for a game because I think it's really ignorant, but it looks like an artsy game. Like, you know, it's just, that's how it looks. Like when somebody says, oh, it's an artsy game, like even though that's a really dumb thing to say, you know exactly what people mean whenever they say that something is an artsy game and this is an artsy game. And uh, so whenever you get into it, the game opens with, uh, in the real world, like not the crazy colorful world, it opens in, you know, real reality with um, a car pulling up to this like beach area. A pregnant woman gets out of the passenger seat of the car and then you take control of her. She's wearing this like pretty blue like maxi dress and she has a journal in her hand and you walk her up over the bridge into the sand on like on the beach and there's like not really anybody on the beach and you kind of walk her down the beach a little bit. She sits down and then it, uh, the game kind of transitions into into the bound world where it's like this really colorful, really abstract looking world that's filled with like kind of like pulsating platforms and the characters in this world, you know, they have these like really cool looking helmets on and they look really elegant and have like that the woman that you control has this kind of like faceted, like asymmetrical ballerina dress and it's really pretty. And you start uh, basically just, like, traversing through this world. Um, there's not really, like, enemies to speak of. I mean, there's certain dangers, but there's not, like, you know, things shooting at you or things, you know, like, pushing you off of platforms. But you just start running through the world. And the kind of hook is that she moves like a ballerina. Like, you can... She kind of has her arms out in a ballerina stance whenever you move her. And, like, whenever she jumps, she, like, jumps like a ballerina. I don't know ballerina terms, so I don't know what to say. Or you can, like, hold down, like, a dash button, and she'll, like, run a little bit faster. And you can hold down, like, a dance button, which is R2. And when you hold down the dance button, she actually, like, literally dances. Like, she'll kind of dance. If you just hold the button down, she'll dance around where she's standing. Or if you, like, hold the dash and the dance button and forward, she'll kind of, like, dance her way forward. And there's, like, a roll button and a dodge button. And she'll do, like, a really fancy dodge if you're holding the dance button. Or she'll just do, like, a regular roll if you're not. And, I mean, basically the game is divided up into several uh, levels where you just kind of do, like, platforming. Like, you run through these levels, you're climbing, you're jumping, you're rolling, um, you're doing some mobile platforming. Uh, and at the end of every level, you kind of get a little bit of a clue as to what the woman on the beach and the real world is going through. Or, like, you know, some kind of, like, tidbits about her past and her childhood. 
and she opens her journal and like the sketches in her journal look very similar to the world of bound so you can kind of take it as like um you know the bound world is kind of like an abstraction in her head about like what you know what's going on and how she sort of like takes the information from her world and from her childhood and how that sort of like that's her like artistic uh, like rendering of what's happened in her life and uh um i i really like this game um i it's the kind of game where it, it dangles that carrot so well that you kind of have like no fucking clue what's going on the whole time you're playing it and you kind of don't really understand what's going on. Like you're getting these tiny tidbits about what's going on with her life and in her real world and from her childhood. And it's giving giving them to you just enough to where like you're intrigued and you can kind of like make some guesses, but it doesn't really, you know, it's not one of those games that like spells it out for you and says like, you know, hey player, we're gonna tell you that this is exactly what happened and that, you know, and that's it and that's the end of it. Um, it's more about, like, the feeling. And, you know, the way that I was playing this game, uh, I mean, the, I, the way I'm described, I, the way I'm going to discuss this game is going to sound very pretentious. So, like, you know, everybody put your pretentious caps on because here we go. Like, the game just, it, it's like a metaphor for life in general. And, <clears throat> like, basically everything that happens in the game, I could sort of, like, translate into some, like, real-life activity. And... It's the kind of game where as I was doing things in the game, I was constantly reflecting about stuff that had happened in my own life and about things that whenever she's doing things in the game or like dancing around the environment, like what that could mean for her and what that could in turn mean for me in my life. And the game carries this whole, um, for me at least, because this is the kind of game that can be interpreted about a million different ways and which are the kind of games I love. I love games like this where... You know, like, some of the platforming in it is not super solid. Like, there are parts in the game where, you know, like, there are a couple platforms and you can jump. And, like, for some reason, for a handful of times in the game, I would jump and land on a platform. And the platform would just kind of, like, kind of, I would kind of, like, fall through the platform. And and whenever she, like, dies, quote-unquote, she just kind of, like, falls. Like, if you fall off an edge or if you jump too far or something, she, uh kind of just like reappears where she was before and she looks like she's been like napping and she like wakes up and stretches and then you just keep going so it's not some big like fail state where you checkpoint like 10 minutes behind this is a very easygoing game and you know at first I got really frustrated about stuff when stuff like that would happen where I would like accidentally fall through a platform and the game kind of has a thing going for it where like if she's dancing, if she's in like her dance stance, then there's certain dangers in the world that won't affect her because she sort of like enters this, this mode of like using dance and artistic expression to like really center herself, or at least this is the way I thought of it, to really center herself and be like confident and to be happy. And the world around her is very, even though it's very beautiful, it's very chaotic and it's pulsating and it's always moving. And to me, that sort of like represented like, you know, the real world around us and around me, like we live in worlds that are ever changing and moving all the time and things. And, and, you know, like with the platform thing, like sometimes I would fall through a platform and, you know, to me, this, like I said, this is going to sound so pretentious, but it kind of made me think like, well, sometimes the things that we think are safe end up not being safe for us. And sometimes the things that we think are not safe end up being okay. And we can always recover from them. And the fact that she uses, like, 
the artistic expression of dance, because this could go for anything. It could be about singing, it could be about writing, it could be about, um, you know, photography or filmmaking. You know, she uses the artistic expression of dance to really get her, like that's her driving thing that gets her through her world. And that's where she's able to center herself and be happy and sort of like ward off all of the terrors of the world. And I don't know, it just, uh, this game just really... I don't know, it felt like a really profound work of art in the way that it constantly had me thinking about how to interpret it and how I could reflect on it and how it made me feel about my life and how whimsical it was and how beautiful it was and just like the kind of things that I thought the game was trying to say and maybe they were trying to say it and maybe it's just stuff that I was making up. You know, it's... Um, uh, I don't know, I just really... Um, I really feel like this game is special, just the way that it had my brain working as I was playing it and the way that I was thinking about it and, you know, able to interpret all the different things it was doing. Um, and with all that said, uh, I'm going to guess that you probably, like, did not like this game at all, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Good guess. You win. You win the prize tonight. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, I... I saw this trailer whenever it first debuted and I fell in love with the trailer. I thought it looked fucking amazing. I thought it looked so artistic and so beautiful and so graceful. And the idea of incorporating dance into gameplay was like, was, was, was mind blowing. I was like, Oh, this looks so awesome. If this is like a little two or three hour indie jam, I'm all over this. I really want to check this out. Uh, like you said, very minimal, very angular kind of um, abstract it looked like he was checking all my boxes. Just everything about it was was speaking to me. But when I started playing it, I was like, oh, these guys don't really know what they're doing. Like, they don't really have any gameplay, which would be kind of, like, fine enough. But if you don't have a lot of gameplay, then you really got to nail, like, the thematic work. You really have to nail, like, the ambiance and stuff. And, like, the game looks very cool. Like, if you look at any single level on youtube or something you're like whoa this looks great like the way that the level pulses and things kind of come into existence and looking around and i mean it looks great and seeing the, the person dance through each level is wonderful but even even with it being such a short experience i mean i think it's only like a two or three hour experience it just doesn't really add up to anything for me like it i wasn't doing anything that was really enjoyable gameplay wise it wasn't enough of a journey thematically to kind of keep my interest and the real world elements I felt like really kind of ruined it for me because it kind of sort of tells a story in the the dancing world and that's okay I guess I mean it would have been fine enough to kind of just let it go as like some indie thing that didn't quite come together but when they they added the real world stuff it just really kind of like took the whole thing down a notch because I felt like it was really ham-handed and really clumsy and really overt and did not support like how elegant it appeared on the surface so i mean i like the concept of it and i like the way it looks for sure but it was really a very unsatisfying uh prospect for me i, I mean you can read my full review afterwards and you can see exactly what i uh had to say about it but overall it was a real miss for me it was like one of those real style over substance kind of jams and i i walked away from it being very disappointed i am very disappointed in you, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> but I am not disappointed in you. You knew exactly that I wouldn't like it, so that's great. That means uh, we are on the same level here. We're thinking <laughs> We're thinking in tune. 
I guess you can chalk this and Abzu up to games that you were really looking forward to that are like indie darlings that you ended up not liking. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, I love indie games. Don't get me wrong. I'm all about the indies. Um, and I'm, I'm very happy to give somebody leeway to explore themes or to explore ideas or mechanics, but you just, you just can't be really sloppy and fuck around and then like cover it up by having it be an indie. Like you have to really have a solid idea. You have to have solid mechanics. You have to have a solid, you know, theme. Like you have to, you know, you don't need a million dollars in your budget, but you have to know what you're doing. It's not just like, Oh, I, I, uh, I made this messy thing and I didn't really think all my ideas through and nothing really came together, but it's an indie. So it's okay. Like that doesn't work for me. Like you really have to nail your things together. Well, they have to hold together well. And a lot of things can be forgiven if the core is solid, but if all you're doing is like exploring ideas or you're just, you're kind of testing things out and then you like, you realize you fucked around too long and now you got to ship something. So you're shipping something like, don't do that. Like, it's not going to win me over. And I, for me, it's pretty obvious when someone has an idea that is not fully fleshed out. And I just, I don't have patience for that, whether it's AAA or whether it's indie. And this to me felt like one that wasn't very well fleshed out. Well, I mean, you know, <clears throat> I had a satisfying experience out of it, so I'm happy about that. I feel like this is the kind of game that every, every, like, <clears throat> everything I did in the game, every time I made a mistake, I feel like I really learned what, like, I don't know, I just feel like it, like, taught me lessons. Like, it sounds so cheesy, but, like, every time I did something in the game, I thought about a way to, like, connect it back to you know, like sort of like themes about like life and about, uh, you know, like childhood and about like aggression or patience or, um, you know, like just like, I, I don't know, just like real world stuff. Like it, it's kind of like, I don't know, like, like it reminded me of whenever I was in uh, college, I took a class called critical reviewing. And one day our professor took us to an art museum, I think it was on campus or maybe like just off campus. And there was a time where we sat down and we did this assignment where we all had to go, we had to go like look at a painting or like look at a sculpture or something in, in the art museum. And our professor had us um, sit down with, I think she gave us like a, you know, like a 15 minute time limit or something. And she was like, you know, instead of just looking at, at this paint, <clears throat> looking at this painting and walking away, like I want you to sit down for like 10 or 15 minutes and really like really look at it, really think about it, really think about how it affects you, really think about what you think the artist was trying to do and think about how you feel about it and try to, you know, like just just write down a, what you think about it and really sit down and look at it rather than just walk by it, glance at it and walk away like we do so many things in life. And I feel like that's how I feel about this game. Like, you know, like I, I looked at this game and I played this game and it, I mean, it like played me in a way, like, you know, like, it, I, like, <laughs> oh. like I, I learned stuff. Like, I don't know. It's just, I was just thinking about that. Like everything about this game, like I, I was able to stare into the game and play it and it was able to stare back at me and I was able to, you know, really just think about what I thought it was trying to do and really look deep into it. Because, um, I mean, yeah, on the surface, it's a game about a ballerina where you're running her through these levels and climbing up ladders and dancing. So, I mean, like, you know, on the surface, it's it, it seems pretty simple. But I don't know. There's just something about it that 
I was really not, um, not expecting to have the kind of connection that I had with it. And it felt really special to me. Um, and I'm so mad cause I finished it. And I, as I probably mentioned on the show before, I keep a, a ranked list of every game I play throughout the year. And I put this in my top 10 and I was like, yeah, it was like number eight or something. And I was like, God, this game's good. And then I looked up the release date for it and found out it came out like a year and a half ago. And I was like, son of a bitch. So I had to like take it off my list of games that, uh, that I made for this year. But, um, uh, yeah, I just really think this is a special game and I, I'm sorry that you didn't enjoy it. Um, but I mean, I don't know, I guess here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And, you know, no worries. Uh, not everything like this is going to be a good fit. Um, it is funny you mentioned that about the top 10, though, because uh, I see a lot of people talking about how this has been the best year ever for games. And they've got so many games that are just like in their top 10 and so many that are so good and so many that can be game of the year. And I'm looking at my list and like I don't even have 10 <laughs> games yet, dude. And I feel this is exactly one of those moments like we were talking about with Wolfenstein, where it's like you kind of wish you could see what everybody else was seeing but like i was seeing some of my friends lists and it was like very predictable what was on the top 10 and it was like oh i knew you're going to pick this and this and this and this and that's fine i mean everybody can like what they want and that's okay but i was like i mean i bet we're going to see a lot of the same games on top 10s this year which is kind of disappointing because i honestly didn't find myself in love with a lot of those games and so like you know like like you were saying you finally find one that you click with you find one that you like you want to put it on there fill out one of those slots and man Got to take it back out. That really hurts. I, I, <laughs> I feel your pain because I'm still trying to fill my top 10. I think I'm up to like maybe six or seven and there are still a couple I need to play, but yeah, I mean, even losing one is kind of a, it's kind of rough right now. So anyway, um, I, we still have a little bit of show to get to, but I, I was going to talk about hand of fate too. And we're kind of running long on time. And I was thinking, you know, I haven't really played it that much. I want people to know that hand of fate two is out and that it's a cool game and I like it, but now that we're kind of at the end of the show, I think, you know, I'm going to hold off on this because I want to get a little bit more time in. I was actually hoping to play it earlier today and I didn't get a chance to. Um, so let me let me table this for the next episode and we can go on to the next segment. But for people listening, Hand of Fate 2 is out from Defiant Development. It's on pretty much every system, I think, and it's really fun and good. Uh, I recommend it so far, <laughs> but let's talk about it next week. Is that OK with you, Corey? That is OK with me. All right, cool. Let's move on to the next segment. All right. Well, um, with Brad forfeiting Hand of Fate 2 uh, until next week, that actually brings us to the end of our game's discussion. But, 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 we have uh, some listener questions to go through tonight. Um, before we sign off, we have a few questions from faithful show listener Jeroon. And I believe, uh, Brad, correct me if I'm wrong, he sent in these questions a few weeks ago and. We kept forgetting to put them in the show, so fear not. We were not ignoring you, but uh, we're going to answer those questions tonight. Yeah, I have to give Jeroen a big apology. Um, you know, Jeroen is a longtime um, listener of this show, of the Game Critics podcast, of Game Critics in general. He is a big supporter. He and I have kind of a special uh, a special relationship because he's in another country, and, like, he'll email, like, he'll send me, like, this really, like, really fucking long email, which is great <laughs> because I love to hear from people who, you know, listen to the show or who read the site. That's awesome. I love that. But he's one of those guys where it's like, I really want to write down a thoughtful reply. So I don't reply right away because I don't have time, right? So I'm like, oh, I'll get back to him later. And I wait to have the time to give him a proper response. And it's just like, it'll be like three weeks before I write him back, right? And then I feel bad because then it's like super late. 
And then it just gets delayed and then, you know, whatever. Maybe he thinks I don't read his emails, but I do. And then it's like, I feel, you know, I wish I could be on top of that. But it always seems like I need like a little extra time to reply and I want to do a good job. So that's what happened this time. He sent me another uh, long email, which was great. And I read all his comments. It's wonderful. Uh, and he put questions at the end of the email that I didn't see right away. So like, I'm like, oh, okay, this is a Jeroen email. I'm going to hold on to this. <laughs> and then like later on when I had time, I got to the bottom and I'm like, oh no, he gave us questions and I totally <laughs> missed them because I didn't reply to the email. So Jeroen, I'm really sorry. Uh, I apologize, but we are going to get to your questions right here and now. Corey, let's do it. All right, let's do it. This first question, th- this first question cracked my ass up whenever I read it. And it is, it's grim, but I also think it's really funny. And it is directed toward Brad. So Brad, I will read this question for you to answer. Um, this question from Jeroen states, are you, Brad, not worried about nuclear threats living in Seattle and knowing about North Korea's aggressive tone? Do you have any plan if it all goes wrong? Or I'm sorry, not if, when it all goes wrong, because Jeroen is sure that the, the United States is going to yeah, blow gee, up a nuclear f- war. Thanks, thanks, um, dude. God. Do, you, <laughs> do you have any plan when it all goes wrong? I know when an atomic bomb is on the way, it might be a little late for action, but still, are you worried, and do you have an idea of what you would do if things escalate? This is a really grim and hard question to answer. <laughs> uh, so, yes, I'm very worried. I'm very concerned. I think about it like pretty much every day. I'm very, very worried because the United States is in really poor hands right now. And it's kind of the most ridiculous farce in the world that we haven't just stormed the gates of the White House and kicked that motherfucker out. Because the fact that we are even still dealing with this guy is just, it's beyond the pale. Like, I just can't even conceive of how anyone in the world is taking orders from this guy or why we're still having him in the office. It's, it's nuts. But it is what it is for the moment. Uh, and yeah, I'm fucking... Yeah, it's really stressful. It's really super stressful. Do I have a plan? No, because I don't know... I mean, uh, number one, I mean, a nuclear bomb is not something you can really, like, defend against. I don't have a shelter. Even if I did, I don't have, like, 18 years of food and water stocked away. <laughs> I mean, I, I, we don't know what his capabilities are. We don't know what it would look like. I mean, the only thing that we can really do is hope that things don't go south. Hope that that shithead in the White House just shuts the fuck up or somebody in power will, like, make a better decision than he would make. Uh, or, you know, who knows? Who knows what? I mean, there's, I mean, what can you do? What can you really do? All I can do is stress out about it, which I've got that covered. Uh, otherwise, I don't know what else we're going to do. I'm just I'm hoping for the best. I'm not a religious person. If I was, I'd be praying for the best. Uh, if things escalate, I don't know what we would do. I mean, I would hope that someone would somehow, I don't know, eject what's his name from the office or someone would take away Twitter from him or, you know, to stop letting him egg on other, other foreign leaders. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. This whole situation is pure madness. I don't have a plan. I wish I did. I don't know what we could do. And it's just really scary, scary and sad and depressing and all that stuff. So... There you go. I don't know if that's an answer, but that's that's where I'm at right now. And I mean, I I know this question isn't directed toward me, but I, I I mean, I think about this stuff pretty much on a daily basis too. Like there there are actually times throughout the day where I wonder, like like um, like man, like someone could launch a nuke like any any minute and launch it at the United States, and like I don't know if that's the kind of thing where like like we would be able to detect it and get, and you know, if we would have like, like an hour warning before it hits, like, I don't really know what like 
the Air Force's capabilities are with like detecting that kind of stuff. You know, if there's like a chance that we would have a warning or if it would just like hit us and like half the United States would die or something. I, I don't know. But I also think about where, I mean, logistically, if someone were to attack the United States with nuclear missiles, like where they would try to hit like would they go for new york would they go for california would they go for texas like would they go for the midwest and try to like hit the center and like make it spread as much as they can like i don't know it's just like one of those things where like you know it's really grim to think about but you know like sometimes if i like check my phone and say like my phone isn't connected to the internet or something i'll think for a second like oh i wonder if a nuclear bomb just hit the united states and like you know, like, what if, like, the internet went out? Like, how would we know? Like, how, you know, I, I, you know, it's just, like, one of those, one of those things. And it's really sad that we're in 2017 in America, and that's the kind of thing that I, that we have to think about on a daily basis. Yeah, I never in a million years thought this is where we would be. I never thought this. I mean, if you had described the worst-case scenario, like, it would be pretty close to what's going on right now. The, the stuff that's happening in real life, the stuff that we hear on the news, the stuff that's going on in uh, D.C. is just, it's literally unbelievable. It is just unfucking believable So let's not talk about it anymore. I'm getting really sad and depressed. I don't want to break into tears <laughs> before the end of the show. Jeroen, I don't have a plan. I'm just hoping for the best. Brother, you pray for me if you are a religious person and hope for the best, too. If uh, something goes wrong and somehow my family manages to escape Jeroen I hope you would put us up on your couch uh where you're at uh make us a spot on your couch so that's that's my plan but next let's move on to the next question um so the next one says on a happier note uh Brad and Corey did you see and love Brokeback Mountain I did Corey <laughs> what is your response these questions could not possibly swing from one end of the I know. I'm other. like, did you write these like six hours apart, <laughs> Drew? Because this is how, what's your train of thought on these, buddy? <laughs> well, uh, I have seen Brokeback Mountain. I'm assuming that this question, you know, because I'm gay and Brokeback Mountain is a very gay movie. Holy sh- um, are you are you gay? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> this is another so video games world exclusive tonight that we're covering. So many uh, secrets revealed tonight. <laughs> so much learning happening right now. Uh, I, I did see Brokeback Mountain. Um, I actually, I was thinking about this whenever I read the question that Brokeback Mountain came out in 2005, which seems like forever ago. And I was 16 whenever it came out. And I want to say that that was the first rated R movie that I went to without my parents, like without, um, you know, my mom, like going in and buying the ticket with me and going to see it. Cause I had definitely seen rated R movies before then. But, um, I remember going with, some friends from school and we bought tickets and went in and we didn't get carded or anything. And, uh, I, I remember seeing it and liking it, but I also think that I was too young to really like, cause I mean, it's a very mature movie to really like understand all of what was going on. Cause I'm pretty, I mean, I think I, I knew I was gay at that point in my life. I was not out yet, but Um, I remember, you know, it resonating with me more because I knew I was gay and I knew it was like, this was like a big deal for this to be like, you know, a giant Hollywood blockbuster about like gay cowboys and like, you know, it was a big, a big hullabaloo. Um, I'm sad to say that I've only seen it that one time and I really should go back and watch it again, like in my current state uh, to see if maybe it would affect me in a different way or maybe if I would 
be able to relate to it in a different way. Or, you know, for all I know, maybe I would like it less this time around because maybe like things would be different for me, you know, now, um, you know, seeing, seeing a gay movie through, through a different lens, I guess, you know, a more mature lens of mine, but I saw it. I liked it. Um, I'm really sad it didn't win the Academy Award for Best Picture that year. I remember rooting for it simply because it was, you know, the gay cowboy movie and I could um, I could relate to it. But um, uh, I did. I saw it. I liked it. I should probably watch it again now that it's been a while since I've seen it. What about you, Brad? Uh, I went to go see it in the theater with my wife uh, and we both really loved it a lot. I thought it was a very powerful, very moving film. Uh, I think that Ang Lee should have won that year. I think was it did did Crash win that win? Uh, yeah, that yes, year? Crash. That movie's won. a pile of shit. That movie was so <laughs> fucking stupid. It is an absolute crime um, that Brokeback Mountain did not win that year. Uh, I think my wife and I both really thought that should have won by far. Um, so moving and so touching. I mean, to show the love between these two guys that was not really. Uh, you know, realizable at that time. I mean, they really depicted like the difficulty that they went through and the lack of acceptance for where they were living and their situations and kind of what happened, uh, you know, with their relationship over the years. I thought it was really just really profoundly beautiful in many ways. And I, I do love that movie quite a bit. It's a really, really good movie. Um, and I just, I thought it was great. So I think that's one of Ang Lee's, if not his best, one of his best. I think it might be his best though. And uh, I know my wife loved it, too. So, yeah, it's a wonderful movie. Really would uh, would really recommend it to anybody who wants to see just like a really like honest depiction of love. Like it doesn't really matter that those guys are even gay. Like it just is kind of like like this kind of love that can't be and how you can express that for someone and how the world can kind of push against that. I think it just really was beautiful. I liked it a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> moving on. Next question. Corey, have you ever been to Amsterdam and do you want to go? <laughs> this is another left field question. I know, I six love. hours later, he has another question. Here you <laughs> go. Hey, Corey, Amsterdam. Hey. Uh, I actually, to be 100% honest, I've never been out of the United States of America. Um, I've never traveled internationally. I've always wanted to, but um, I, uh, you know, I mean, travel is expensive and it takes a lot of time. And um, I know from... And outside the United States perspective, um, you know, I know I'm pretty sure like every other country in the developed world gets like better pay and better time off, you know, and better, um, you know, vacation options. The United States does because we work like a million hours a week for shit pay and, you know, don't get very much time off. Um, so, you know, it doesn't really... Um, uh, give, give us the option to travel as much unless you work in a cushy job or you have a lot of money or something like that. So, um, I, uh, I've, so, I mean, you know, long story short, I've never been to Amsterdam. Um, I pro I mean, I wouldn't say no to going, that's for sure, but it probably wouldn't be in my like top five places to choose. Like if I were to travel internationally, I remember a couple years ago, Patrick and I were thinking about taking an international trip with like income tax money. Like we were like, you know, kind of like almost all in on like, okay, we need to pick a place to go. Like we're going to, you know, put our money together and we're going to do this. And of course we ended up not doing it. Um, I can't remember why. I think we might've just ended up going somewhere in the United States instead, maybe to Seattle, maybe it was the year we went to Seattle. But, um, I remember us trying to think about where we'd want to go first. And cause Patrick's been out of the United States, um, several times, but I never have. And I think some of the ideas we tossed around were like, uh, like London or Australia or like, like Japan, like Tokyo, um, or like Seoul even, um, 
or places like that because those are places that I would be interested in going internationally. I know some of them are expensive. Like I know traveling to Australia is pretty expensive. London is expensive. Um, so uh, I haven't. Uh, I would like to go, but I, I mean, realistically, if I were to take an international trip, it probably, I doubt very seriously I would go there. Um, I, I really don't know the first place I would go if I went internationally, but unless it was some kind of like special package or like really cheap deal or some kind of like, you know, special circumstance, I probably would not come to Amsterdam first, but that's not to say I wouldn't want to go there. Cool. 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 Um, let's just, I mean, that was directed to you. I don't know. Should I answer that or no? Or should I, uh, I mean, you can add some two cents if you want. Uh, would I go to, if somebody was giving me a free ticket and my family could come, I would go <laughs> if I somehow had enough money to go, which I think you actually bring up a good point because when I hear from my European friends who are like, Oh, I'm on holiday, I'm on holiday. I'm like, Oh, fuck you. Because they do, they do get all the, the extra time off. And like all those countries are so close together. It's like so easy for them to go and visit those things. I'm jealous. I'm profoundly jealous because here in the States, it's like, you don't really get any time off unless, you know, like you're a CEO or something. And, you know, everything is so far away. It costs like a million dollars to go places. I think those kind of vacations are not really a common reality for a lot of Americans, which is probably why nobody ever leaves, which is why we never get exposed to the rest of the world, which is why we're so fucking xenophobic when it comes to things and we, blah, 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 blah. Like lots of lots of connections. I have this. We're not going to talk about it now, but I have this large theory about why America sucks so much because of the geographic location and the realities of its position on the globe. Big theory I have. I'm not going to talk about it now. But... <laughs> Uh, but you'll wonder about it until next episode. <laughs> uh, would I go? Sure. But it's not in my top five places. I have uh, the wife and I have been kind of talking about where we're going to go when we finally at some point in our lives get enough money to go. Um, I, I would definitely not turn it down, but not on my top five. So sorry, Jeroen. Uh, Corey, this is what he says. He says, could you next time when you talk about games that are hidden gems or any other lists you come up with during the show, perhaps write down the mentioned games like down below on the website. It is a... And he wrote a number, and I don't know what this number is. There's like a weird symbol. It looks like the sideways Mandalorian <laughs> symbol for from Star Wars. I don't know what the symbol is. It's like a 320. Is that is that Euros? I don't know what it is. It's a comb. It's a, it's a claw. <laughs> I don't know what the symbol is because we're stupid Americans. We're dumb. We don't know what this is. It's a it's a 320 ticket when the police catches me while driving and making notes on my smartphone. <laughs> this show is dangerous. Yes, please do not text or write or drive or anything while you're driving, Drew. I mean, well, drive while you're driving, but don't do anything else while you're driving. Uh, and we, we do this already. I don't mean to steal your thunder here, Corey, but we put stuff... Oh, you know, that's not true. I guess maybe we could add it to the show notes. What do you think, Corey? Yeah, I think... Because um, usually we add timestamps for the games that we talk about, but I think uh, what Jeroen means here is, like, say if we have, like, a discussion topic where we talk about, like, like our top five games of the year, or, like, like his example is, like, hidden gem games that we talk about or something. I, I guess we never put those in the show notes. I never really think about it because I just put, like, the fact that we discuss them, but not, like, individually what the games are. Um, and his question is if we can add them to the show notes or add them to, like the game critics site or something um, like the show write up. Uh, so that way, cause he, uh, he's mentioned before that he listens to the show while he drives, um, you know, while he's driving his kids to school and stuff like that. So he doesn't want to have to like try to take notes on the games that we're talking about while he's driving cause it's dangerous. So uh, yeah, I think that sounds like a good idea. I'm sure we can come up with a plan to put them in the show notes or 
um, get get a written version of it to, to put somewhere. If we do a little game discussion topics like that, we will we will definitely keep that in mind the next time we do uh, uh, any lists or anything like that. Yeah, I think I mean I think the show notes are pretty good. If you don't feel like the show notes are good enough, we can certainly add more to those when we talk about maybe a topic that has like us going through a bunch of games but um i, I don't know if if he's saying the show notes himself or not enough but yeah we can we can certainly do more if we if we end up riffing through a bunch we can make an effort to do that so yes we will definitely do that um for sure and let's see uh go ahead Corey. you want to read the next one or no i might read the next one i'm reading the next one <laughs> Is, sorry, it's getting late in the night. Is there something you would know you would like to know from your listeners? We know so much about you guys by now, but if you could ask the So Video Games listeners a question, what would that question be? Corey. Oh boy. I um I don't know, it's tough because I don't know what specific questions I would want to ask. Like you know, at the end of the show we always say like if you have you know, we always say, you know, if you have feedback, if you have thoughts, you know, show ideas, whatever, you can you can send us that. And really, I mean, whenever we have, you know, kind of a broad audience, I feel like that's, uh, at least in my opinion, the best questions we can ask. Because I'm always, I mean, I am, and I know you are always interested in, you know, if any listeners have any very specific um, you know, like a show idea or a topic discussion or, you know, anything like that, that they want to send us for us to, for us to discuss. Like, I know, uh, we're always more than happy to address those or to discuss them on the show. Um, but I mean, whenever we have a listener base, it's hard for me to think about any specific questions I would want to ask beyond that. And, and, you know, and add to it the fact that like, um, like we don't even know how many people listen to the show. I mean, we can look up the SoundCloud stats. It's like, it's like a lot. It's like, it's like, it's a ton. It's a huge, <laughs> it's a huge audience. I'm pretty sure. But I mean, like we, it's just weird. Cause like, you know, we have the stats, like SoundCloud is technically the first place that the show is hosted. And like, we can look up some of the stats on SoundCloud, but I would be willing to bet that most people listen to the show, not on SoundCloud. Like they use the, they use the RSS number, Uh, from the show feed to listen on like the apple podcast app or on like stitcher or on whatever pocket cast whatever app they want to use and we don't get any of those stats so like i don't know it's hard to want to to know like specific questions whenever you know our our listener base is broad and we don't even know how many people listen to the show uh what do you think brad i mean i kind of echo what you said i mean i don't have any specific questions that I would want to know about our listeners. I mean, I think I already know everything I need to. I mean, they're obviously people of uh, fine taste and class because they <laughs> listen to our show. So they're obviously oh, the geez. best kind of people to begin with. I mean, what more do you need to know? Uh, but like you kind of said, I mean, I would be I would be up for more questions. I mean, I guess my question is, why don't you send us more questions? That's my question <laughs> to you. I love answering questions because it leads us to these interesting tangents. It lets us remember stories that maybe we wouldn't ordinarily remember because we're not, you know, don't have anything to lead into it. Uh, it might, uh, get us onto a new topic of discussion that we could mine for a while. So I would, I would love to know why are you guys not asking us more questions? (laughs) Because I know for a fact people listen, I know for a fact you do. I see some of the numbers and I see some of the responses on Twitter. Um, so I know people are listening and maybe they just don't have a question. Maybe they're just happy with whatever we bring to the table and that's fine. And I respect that. Absolutely. But I would like to have more questions, more feedback, and more interaction with the people. So if you guys uh, would like to get on that, that would be great. So 
I think that is it. I think that answers all of Drew's questions as well. The only thing left to do is give a special hello to his uh, his kids, Dex and Ben, if they are in the backseat listening. Ah. Uh, number one, ask your dad how come he's making you listen to the show because we swear way too much for your sensitive little ears. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> and also tell your dad to stop jotting down notes when he's driving. Super not safe. Don't do that, Drew. But that hello to Dex and idea. Ben. Hope you guys are doing well. And I think uh, that's all we have, isn't it, Corey? Uh, I think so. The show, the show plus the banter that will be coming after is going to be a pretty long one. So maybe we should go ahead and sign off. Does that sound like a good idea to you? Good idea to me. All right. Well, 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 as I just said a few minutes ago, uh, I'm going to be echoing myself again. Um, that is the end of the show. And before we go, uh, as always, we'd like to remind you that you can send us any comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, any show ideas, any topic discussions. Um, even if you want to go the Jeroen route and send us questions that have nothing to do with video games, um, you know, we're talking about Brokeback Mountain. We're talking about the United States going into nuclear war. We are more than happy to answer those questions. Um, unless it's something that Brad and I don't know anything about, then we're probably not going to be able to answer those questions very well. But uh, Well, we'll uh, still answer them, though. I'll be happy to make up an answer. That's not a problem. That's true. We will certainly do our best. And if we get the questions long enough before the show, then we can do a little research if we need to. Um, but as always, you can send us any of that feedback. Um and we are happy to to field it. Um, like I said at the very beginning of the show, unless you just stop by and say, hey, you guys are assholes or fuck you guys, then we're happy to listen to any, you know, thoughtful, mature feedback. Um, and the way you can send us that feedback is on our email. Uh, we have an email, sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Twitter account. Uh, the Twitter account is at sovideogames on Twitter. And the shows go up on Game Critics as well. So if you listen on Game Critics, you can leave a comment on the Game Critics page uh, for the shows. That's something that I always forget to say, but um, that is yeah, always Yeah, we should add that to. to the notes. I forget to add that, too. You're correct, though. Yeah, because I know uh, Brad for sure sees all those comments because he's the one that usually approves most of the comments that go up on Game Critics. So uh, he usually sees those. I for sure see the emails, and we both see... Uh, the Twitter ones uh, more often than not. So those are some good ways to reach us. And you can also reach us individually on Twitter. Uh, Brad, would you like to give your Twitter handle? Yep, it's my name, Brad Galloway, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. No O's, not a single O in my name. <laughs> uh, mine is also my first and last name. It is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. If you want to get a hold of us there. Um, if... I guess uh, I guess that's it. Um, uh, stay tuned after the show. We are still sticking with banter at the end format. So Games Talk is over. Uh, we're going to sign off in a second. The little theme song is going to play. And then we've got probably about an hour of banter after the show. We talk about movies. We talk about some Netflix shows. We talk about people dying in weird ways. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, please stay tuned. Uh, but until then, until after the banter, we will... Uh, See you guys in the next episode, episode 58, which will be next week. So in the meantime, this is bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. We'll see you then.
Um, good evening, Brad. How are you? Man, good. It's it's funny because it's actually been like an awesome weekend, but because it was an awesome weekend, I feel like I didn't really do any of like my usual upkeep, you know, self-employed business owner, <laughs> responsible things. So I'm feeling a little bit chaotic right now, even though it was a really awesome weekend. Um, what about you, man? How you doing? Uh, pretty good. I, um, I, uh, I had a pretty, I guess, pretty good weekend. I was actually just watching, um, whenever you messaged me on Discord, the reason why it took me like five minutes to get back to you, I was watching, uh, uh, YouTube videos for, um, press interviews with Colin Farrell and, um, uh, this young actor named, I think his name is, uh, his first name is Barry for sure. I think his last name is pronounced Keegan, uh, because I watched this movie called, the killing of a sacred deer uh, last night, and I was watching some interviews to try to like, I don't know, like sometimes I do this if I like watch a movie and if I kind of like it or if I'm interested, I'll like scour YouTube for a whole night and like look up like as many press interviews with like the actors and the director that I possibly can to try to like, you know, see what they think about the movie and the kind of stuff that they talk about. Is this a new one or an old one? I can't say that I've heard of this. Um, it is a new one, and I also can't blame you for not having heard of it because it is. It's like, it's a it's a pretty like indie ass indie movie. Like it's a uh, by a director. His name is I, I. I hope I don't pronounce this incorrectly. I think it's Yorgos. That's Y O R G O S. Yorgos uh, Lanthimos, and he. Uh, writes and directs movies. The last movie that he did was called uh, The Lobster, which came out last year. Have you heard of that? Oh, I've heard of it. I heard it was really good, but I heard that was also like an indie ass experience, <laughs> all those letters in capital. But I did not did not see it, did not see it. I heard it's good though. Yeah, I haven't seen it either, but it's one of those movies that I had like meant to see. And I had heard that his new movie uh, called The Killing of a Sacred Deer was coming out. And um, and it's kind of one of those movies because sometimes when it comes down to movies with me, especially like indie movies that aren't like super hyped or, you know, there's not trailers everywhere for them. I try to go into them knowing basically as as like less as I possibly can going in. And that's kind of what I did with this movie. Um, like I knew that Colin Farrell was in it. I knew Nicole Kidman was in it. I knew it was by the same director as The Lobster, although I hadn't seen The Lobster, so it's not like I could like rally behind it really. Um, but uh, I, I took Patrick with me to go see it. There's like one indie movie theater in the New Orleans area that has like six uh, like six screens inside of it, and they play the cool thing about the theater. It's called the the Broad Theater. They um, they actually play like blockbuster movies and like real like indie movies that don't play anywhere else in new orleans so i mean you could go there and see like wonder woman or you could see the killing of a sacred deer which like you know a total of about 55 people have heard of and um so we went in and saw it and the movie is about colin farrow plays this uh really successful surgeon um or he's like a doctor or surgeon he's like a heart surgeon i guess and um i think nicole kidman she's his wife in the movie and they have two kids and i think she is like uh I don't know if she ever says exactly what she does in the movie, but I think she's like a psychologist or maybe she's a doctor too. Cause she always, she keeps talking about her clinic in the movie and how she's like redecorating it, but it doesn't really dive in on what she does. But long story short, they're like a really successful couple. You know, he's a surgeon. She's some kind of doctor. They have two kids. They live in a beautiful house. Um, but they're a very unusual family. They're kind of strange, just the way that they act and the way that they talk to each other and the way that they kind of relate to each other. Uh, their son, Bob, is like, 
I think he's like eight or nine. Well, maybe like 10, somewhere in there. And the daughter is like a teenager. She's probably like 16. Um, and the point, I, I'm not going to give too much away because this is the kind of movie that I feel like you should go on not knowing a lot of it. But uh, the movie sets up a relationship between Colin Farrell and a younger kid in the movie who's about 17. Um, his name is Martin in the movie. And at first, you kind of don't exactly understand, like, what their relationship is. Like, if Colin Farrell's character, uh, Stephen, he is in the movie, uh, Stephen is, like, a mentor for Martin, or um, if maybe there's something, like, sketchier going on, like, maybe they're having some kind of inappropriate relationship, like, maybe, like, a sexual relationship, and because they're, like, kind of meeting in secret, and, like, Stephen is offering to give money to Martin for certain things, and it turns out that... Martin had performed heart surgery, or I'm sorry, Stephen had performed heart surgery on Martin's father, like, several years ago, and his father actually died during the operation, um, and this isn't really spoiling anything, this isn't, like, a big, like, reveal in the movie or anything, um, and so he, uh, Stephen, the surgeon, kind of, like, mentors, uh, Martin a little bit, but their relationship takes a very tumultuous turn and it ends up kind of putting um steven's life in danger a little bit and it just gets very strange and i really liked the the first half of the movie was like incredibly like suspenseful and taut and it's the kind of movie where you're just staring at the screen like wondering what the fuck's going on because it's very weird the whole thing is shrouded in like extreme weirdness like like a surrealism and then the second half, I mean, it didn't get bad, but it just kind of, like, dragged out a little bit too long, and it kind of got a little more ridiculous as things went on, and not necessarily in, like, a coherent way. Um, but uh, but it's also based on, like, Greek mythology, which I didn't know going in, and I wasn't, I don't really know a whole lot about Greek mythology, but after reading up on some of the stuff about it, it kind of made a little bit more sense. But, um, I don't know, it's a very interesting movie, uh probably i mean i don't know if i would recommend it because it's so strange um but i probably won't be forgetting about it anytime soon so there's that i guess interesting i mean it sounds kind of intriguing but at the same time i don't have a lot of time for like movies that may or may not be good like I'm so, <laughs> you know like i gotta really pick and choose when i sit down to watch a show because I don't have a lot of time. I mean, it sounds like the kind of thing I totally would have watched when I was like 25. Like I probably would have been down for that and I would have had like the raw time. Um, I don't know. I mean, it sounds okay, but I got to be honest, I'm not a big Colin Farrell fan. Are you a fan of his? Uh, I'm not really either, but I also, he's not one of those actors that I, I don't know, I guess I don't really have feelings about him. Like there's certain actors like, like say like Matthew McConaughey, for instance, where if I see that he's in a movie or like Johnny Depp, I immediately become like, totally turned off to the movie and like really won't want to see it just because they're in it. But I don't really have any feelings toward, toward Colin Farrell. Like I don't, I don't really know if I've ever seen a whole lot that he's been in, like maybe like minority report. Um, so I don't, I mean, he's not an actor that I like look forward to seeing his stuff, but he's not an actor that I'm like, Oh God, Colin Farrell's in this. I better skip it. Hmm. Yeah, I don't have a lot of strong feelings either, but it seems like every time I see a movie with him in it, I'm just like, oh, it's that guy. Like, I just, <laughs> I don't like hate him, but it's like, I I kind of, I don't like him. And I kind of wonder <laughs> how he got like as popular as he did. I mean, I guess he's a good looking guy or whatever. So maybe that's part of it. But 
I just I was like, Ugh, what what are you doing here? Like I don't I don't associate him with being like a good actor. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, I guess he's been on kind of like a weird like indie train lately because he was the lead in The Lobster also, which I'm sure led him down the path of being in this movie. So I mean, like two kind of big movies in a row that and he was also in The Beguiled, which was a Sofia Coppola's last movie. And um, yeah, so I don't know. He hasn't really been not that I can think of in anything that's like big, like blockbuster movie lately. So I don't know. He's kind of like in the indie fringe scene right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I probably will never watch it, but uh, yeah, good to know. Good to know. You know, I actually, as a matter of fact, caught a movie today that I would like to share with you, sir. I know um, what this is. I saw you tweeting about this earlier. Yeah, I did tweet about it earlier. See, that's the thing is like, I, whenever we talk about shit on the show, I'm such a, I'm such a blabbermouth on Twitter. Like anybody that follows <laughs> me already knows what I'm going to talk about. So you might as well not even listen to the show because you already know. So, <laughs> um, to this weekend, part of the reason why this was such a good weekend was that, um, we just, we got a lot of our paperwork and a lot of our stuff done earlier we tried to get a lot of it knocked out during the week so that when the weekend came, we would have just time to hang out and we were successful. So Saturday was just like, we just played games all day long, like all three of us. Um, and that was fine. Like we were all just chilling out, made some food, uh, like went out for pizza that night or something, just played games all day long. And it's, we've been really busy. So this was like intentionally kind of a lazy day. And then today I was like, well, you know, let's go, uh, let's go catch a movie because Thor came out and we're big Marvel fans. I mean, I've talked about several Marvel shows on uh, this podcast uh, over the past. And so real excited for that. And then we were like going to go and just do a couple other things and kind of make a day of it. So that's what we did. And it all, it was just really nice. Like it all came together. So that was great. And we had a really good family time. Uh, but the movie, we went to go see Thor Ragnarok. Um, I'm sure most people listening to the show probably have seen the commercial or have some idea what it is. <laughs> it's like the, I don't know, the 84th movie in the Marvel cinematic universe. And it stars, Chris Hemsworth as Thor, and it had Kate Blanchett as Hela, and it had uh, a bunch of, you know, the usual, like the Hulk was in it, Doctor Strange was in it. I mean, basically, you know, just the next the next entry in the Marvel, you know, uh, saga, uh, until they're going to wrap things up, which I believe is going to be the Infinity, Infinity War? I think that's coming in 2018, where they're going to, like, tie up all the loose ends and kind of close the book on a lot of the heroes that are running now and kind of start a new chapter that's like a big that's a big deal um but that's that's later so we watched thor today and i gotta say it was it was great it was really really good um basically i mean i'm not gonna spoil the whole thing but what happens is uh hella is the the sister of thor that no one has talked about because she's like this dirty secret in asgard so she makes her way back to asgard she's pissed because no one has you know everybody's forgotten about her She's really like rough and, and evil, and that was why they kind of cast her aside in the first place. So she wants revenge. She gets to Asgard, fucks things up, kicks <laughs> Thor. Uh, she sends it's it's kind of complicated to explain, but basically Thor ends up on a different planet, and the Hulk happens to be on the same planet. It's a weird planet where they have these gladiatorial um, arena and they fight, and it's it's kind of like a sci-fi, but it's kind of like a gladiator thing. Plenty of aliens. It's basically like a fish out of water kind of a thing with Thor and Hulk um, doing like these buddy hijinks. They meet a couple other people, have big adventures. It's good. It's really good. I mean, I think it's really fun. And um, the thing about this is it's really, really humorous. Like it's not just fun in the sense of like, I like to watch superheroes do cool things. It's, it was really like genuinely laughing, humorous, intentionally jokey, funny. 
Um, I don't know anything about the director, but I heard some people say that he seemed like kind of an unusual pick, but I think he was really a smart pick because, I mean, it was just great. Like, it was not too serious. Lots of, like, ad-lib dialogue. The cast had a really good uh, chemistry uh, among each other. And so there was lots of scenes where they were just kind of, they just seemed like we're like genuinely be getting along. And so it's really kind of fun to watch that interaction. And a lot of the lines were just really, really funny. Like there's a lot of little asides, a lot of little jokes. And I just, I just thought it was great. The action was really cool. I mean, lots of huge set pieces, lots of enormous destruction. But at the same time, the characters felt human. You could really relate to them because they had like foibles and quirks and they weren't just like, stoic superhero man the whole time like they were actually you know they just seem like real people you know i really liked it a lot i really thought it was very funny um jeff goldblum is in it and he's like hilarious in it and the whole thing is really good i heard some comic nerds getting their panties in a bunch and they were like really you know harumphing that it was it was too funny it shouldn't have been a comedy it's not supposed to be a comedy but like i like dude DC has the grim and gritty and dark and boring stuff, like, totally locked down. We don't need any of that in the Marvel Universe. I don't mind a few laughs here and there, and I think that, you know, in between the action and everything else that was going on, it was just it was just a fun ride. It was very fun. Not too serious, but there was lots of stuff blowing up and good jokes, and it was just cool special effects, and everything about it was really, really good. I also have to say, uh, just like a quick side note, uh, at one point... Uh, Hemsworth takes off his shirt and he shows off his chest and I was starting to question whether I was even the same species as him because I was like oh my fucking god like you could hear the gasp in the audience when he took his shirt off and I even I gasped like god damn dude what what that is that is not fair that is not fair I mean I'm sure that his personal trainer works him like eight hours a day he eats nothing but you know egg yolks or something some crazy thing and you know being an actor you got to look good you get paid for looking good so I get that but boy, my self-esteem took a real hit this <laughs> afternoon. Let me tell you, buddy, that was that was that was rough. But it was a good movie, though. I did, I definitely say. I mean, it's if you're not a fan of the Marvel stuff, it's not anything that's going to win you over. Uh, and I'm not even sure that I would recommend it as a good jumping-on point, even it, even though it was so funny. But uh, if you like the Marvel movies and you like that style, I thought it was very very good. I would I would definitely call it a win. Another another win in a long string of wins for the Marvel series. So was very good. Loved it. Uh, Patrick went and saw it on, I think it was like the day, like a couple of days after it came out. And I can't remember why I was, I was doing something, which is weird because I'm never doing anything. And like the one time I was busy, uh, he, he went to go see it with, uh, his friend Weston from work as coworker and he really liked it. He was concerned because I didn't get, go see it with him and I'm not really sure if I'm going to go see it, but, um, he was concerned that I would not like it because I have a very um, particular kind of humor that I like in movies. And I think that he thinks that this is not the kind of humor that I would like in movies, but I'm not, I'm not sure. So maybe I'll have to see it down the road and reevaluate this uh, claim that Patrick thinks he knows what my taste in movies is. I don't know if it would be to your taste or not. I mean, it definitely had a, a certain style. Like, you could really feel the director's style coming through. Because I've seen some interviews with the director, and, like, his voice kind of was uh, was in the cast in some of the things they said. So I I don't know if it's your jam or not. I mean, I, I mean possibly, but, I mean, clearly it irritated a lot of fucking comic nerds. So I guess <laughs> some people really don't like it, but I thought it was really great. My wife liked it. The son liked it. I mean, to me, it was another win, so I really liked it a lot. So, you know, speaking of which... Um, just to segue a little bit, 
I was watching uh, this other TV show that I would uh, throw out really quickly. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's called Curious and Unusual Deaths. has nothing to do with Marvel Universe, but I'm, I'm figuring since we're talking about what we've been watching lately. Uh, my son came across this as he was uh, scanning Netflix for something new to watch. And he's like, oh, Dad, Dad, can I watch this? And I was like, mm, yeah, okay, that's fine. I'll sit down with you. We'll watch it. And if it's, you know, I'll give some parental guidance, as I like to do. And if it was going to be too raw, I was going to turn it off. So I sat down with him. It ended up being a really cool and interesting show. Uh, in each episode, I think there's only one season, so I think there's like 12 episodes total. In each episode, they take three curious and unusual deaths, and they talk about like what they are, who was it, what happened, why did they die, and kind of they explain like the science and the physics behind each one, like in a really accessible way, like lots of like diagrams and infographics and stuff. It's pretty cool. Uh, and the, the deaths, I mean, oh my God, like some of the deaths are so crazy and so stupid. You're like, oh my God, how could you do that to yourself? Most of these people end up killing themselves one way or another. Um, there's a few that something just genuinely unexpected happened to them. And I feel bad for those people, but most of these deaths are like, people are being completely fucking stupid and they did, <laughs> they kind of just do it to themselves. I mean, just to give you an example, uh, I'll give you two quick examples. One, this guy was in Texas and he was fishing and then he just was getting tired. He didn't want to drive home. So his truck was parked on the beach. And so he decided to sleep under his truck to, I don't know, be out of the elements or something. I don't, I mean, I would never sleep under a car like that, but he, he slept under this car and it just so happened that the day he was out fishing was like the highest tide of the year. So I'm sure you're see. I'm sure you can see where this is going, right? Uh, he falls asleep under the truck. The tide washes up. The car sinks down because the sand is moving underneath the tires as the waves are washing. He gets pinned under the truck, and then the water keeps rising. And I'm like, oh, God. Like, what a terrible way to go. Terrible way to go. The other one I really want to mention really quickly, this guy, uh, who was actually in Washington, as a matter of fact. He was in Longview, Washington, uh, a couple hours south of where I live. He was going for the Guinness World Record for the world's largest kite, and he made a kite that was as big as a football field. <laughs> and he had it literally, literally... Big as a football field. He had it out on the beach. He had like a hundred volunteers to try to help him like lift it up and catch wind. They couldn't do it for hours and hours and hours. So he gave everybody a break. Just as he's taking a break, the wind kicks up, right? Like totally. Like they've been trying to do this for like all day and it doesn't work. The, the second everybody goes to go take get a drink or get a soda or whatever, the wind kicks up. He's walking back to the, the break area. He is walking on the beach and one of the ropes that's on the ground like snags his leg and then the whole kite inflates pulls him like 150 feet up in the air and he's stuck and there's no way for them to bring it back down because the kite is so big the vertical force of the kite it's impossible for them to bring it back down and in fact the kite is even moored to the ground by two rented dump trucks full of sand because that's how much vertical force it has so the dude is dangling from his foot like 150 200 feet up in the air and he's sitting there, and for some reason, he decides to unkink his leg. I mean, he's holding. His leg is totally stuck, right? I mean, he's not going to go anywhere. He's just stuck. But for some reason, he, like, unkinks his leg, and then he's holding on to his hands. But that thing's blowing. Winds are really strong. He's, like, so high up in the air. He, you know, he just, he just can't hold on. So he falls, crashes onto the beach, not in the water even, but onto the beach, dies. And ironically, he actually did set the world record that day. So he set the world record. And he plummeted to his death on the exact same day. I felt like, oh my God, that is, that is horrific. That is terrible. But 
on the upside, it makes for a good story. And we learned all about the physics of kites, which I thought was really <laughs> educational. So I thought we were kind of killing two birds with one stone, learning about all these things that I'm warning my kid about. I'm like, don't make a kite that big. Don't do that. If you have a kite, don't leave the rope on the ground. You know, or like, don't don't go to bed under a car. Don't park your car on the beach. Like all these, we're learning lots of little life lessons here. And at the same time, like, oh my God, some of these deaths are just so ridiculous. So I definitely recommend that show. I think it is interesting. Um, each death is pretty short. They go through like at least three. And uh, man, some of the stuff is just beyond the pale, dude. Just, I really just couldn't even imagine. So good times, good times. But those are like like legit factual things that actually happen in real life. Oh, yeah. Every single thing on the show, 100% true, documented. And there's actually quite a number of very famous deaths. I mean, I'm not a historian or anything, but they showed deaths of people whose names you would recognize. I mean, people you would have heard of and uh, other historical figures. So, yeah, it's all 100% true, uh, true fact. How long is each episode? Like like 25 minutes or something. They're really short. So. And did they do one death per episode and that's it? No, it's three deaths per episode, oh, and they damn. just go through them real quick, like, you know, seven minutes for each death or something. They give the setup, you know, they explain what's going on, they explain why the person was stupid or what happened, <laughs> oh, and then God. they give uh, this other... Yeah, I mean, oh, man, there was this one where this guy was a Ukrainian, like, explosives uh, hobbyist, and he was trying to make these fireworks for some celebration or something, and he was a weirdo because he was <laughs> dipping his his gum into citric acid, which makes it sour. Um, so, I mean, that you know, people eat sour gum. I mean, that's a thing. But he was doing it in the lab, which anybody in the lab knows you don't eat or drink in a lab for just this reason. So he ends up dipping his gum. He thought it was the citric acid and he ends up dipping it in like, I want to say it was like sodium chlorate or something like that. And then when he put it in his mouth, it reacted with the saliva. And when his teeth crunched it, it somehow kicked off the force, blew his fucking jaw oh right off God. his mouth, dude. Can you fucking believe it? I was like, oh, my God. I was just like, oh, so so horrific, so horrific. Anyway, good times, very entertaining, very educational, really interesting. So, uh, I mean, I think this is um, fine for an older child to learn about stuff. I mean, if you if your family swings that way, maybe not, but mine does. <laughs> uh, yeah, good times, really enjoy it. So, curious and unusual deaths, and the whole first season is on Netflix. Is this a Netflix funded show, or is it from like a channel on like cable television? Do you know? I don't know for sure, but from the production values, I want to say it's like probably something they got from like the History Channel or Discovery or something like that. It doesn't seem like a Netflix original. Okay, it's so hard to keep up these days because Netflix releases like a new original series like every 15 minutes, it seems like. So it's hard to uh, keep up with all the shit they're doing. Oh, yeah, really, really, um, really tough to keep up with them. Oh, you know, let me before I before we uh, get back to you real quick, let me tell you about one more show. Actually, a couple more shows real quick. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, and these are, I've been kind of saving these up, but we didn't watch all these one week. Um, but I, I keep meaning to talk about them and I don't. But since we're talking about TV, let me just get them out real quick. Um, I talked about the normal life of Gordimer Gibbons, right? Gordimer Gibbons life on normal street. I talked about that before. You remember that? Is that, oh God, you've talked about so many shows. Let me try to predict which one this is. Is this the one where <clears throat> there is like the thing where there's like one slightly supernatural element in every show and it's yes, like a yes, diverse yes, cast yes. of children. Is that it? A, yeah. A not sufficiently diverse cast, but a somewhat diverse cast. Okay. And uh, yeah, so this is, again, it's called Gordimer Gibbons life on normal street. It's an Amazon original. So you can only see it on Amazon if you have Amazon prime, or I guess you can buy the episodes on Amazon, whatever. But yeah, this is the one where it's about three kids who live on a street and they have like real life kid problems. Like 
getting bullied or parents getting divorced or self-esteem problems or whatever. Or there's there's good stuff too. Like not every episode is something terrible. Uh, but there's always like one, there's like always one magical realism thing that happens in every single episode. Like somebody will find like a magic pencil that makes them super creative. And like, otherwise everything else in the show is normal, like normal life. But like this one thing kind of kicks off whatever they're doing. We ended up finishing that show. There's only three seasons of it. So we watched the last uh, episode, I think a couple weeks ago. I have to say like, it really was so good. Like it started off being kind of kiddie and I mean, it was fun and entertaining, but then it kind of got heavier as the season went on. And at the end, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but like a lot of stuff changes and happens and it's like kind of terrible and you kind of wish that it wasn't <laughs> happening, but the director really goes there and he takes it there. And man, like I totally like cried, dude. I was like really sad and my wife cried and my son was getting kind of like, I mean, he gets, he gets angry when he gets sad. So he was getting like sad, mad, you know, he was like, I'm sad, but I'm mad because I'm sad. And <laughs> it was, it was good though. It was like really touching and they really, um, it was just so, so real. Like I could really understand where these guys were coming from. They were in a difficult situation that really mirrored real life. And the actors did a great job. And we got to know these characters so well over the course of three seasons. Like, I really was sad that the series was ending. Um, so I really recommend that show. I think it's a wonderful show to watch with your family or um, if you don't mind watching shows that start kids. I mean, I think there's something here for everybody, even though it, it does skew pretty young. But when they start getting into some of the heavier themes, like, I really appreciate how honest they were with it. Like, they really don't pull any punches and they really do address some stuff that you that everybody faces, you know, somebody dies, somebody gets really, really sick or somebody has to go away or your relationship doesn't work out or things like that. Where usually like a sitcom will kind of paper over it and then you'll just, you know, whatever, ha ha ha. And then you just, you don't really get too heavy with it. But man, the show really, really got heavy, um, but in a good way, like in a really good way. So I would recommend it for older kids or families, but I think it's really valuable and I really like what they did with it. So really good stuff. And the last show. The last show I also mentioned was um, Danger and Eggs. You remember me talking about that one? Oh God, Brad, you talk about so many freaking shows. You don't have to. You don't have to predict. This was about a girl. This is a cartoon, also on Amazon. A girl and her best friend is like a giant egg, and they go <laughs> and have like all sorts of weird issues. This was the one that was getting a lot of uh, play in the queer community because it was seen as being really positive and accepting, which I think is really true. Uh, the show has a very quirky sense of humor. Sometimes the jokes land and they're great. Sometimes I'm just like, oh, dear, that didn't work. <laughs> uh, but overall, really positive. I like the relationship between the two main characters. And that's we, there's only one season of that. We just watched the ending, I think, last week. And it was really good. Like, the last ending was, like, super queer. Like, it was, like, rainbow flags all over the place. <laughs> everybody was, like, accepting of everybody. Um, some really asshole people showed up and we're trying to squash everybody's mellow and like the whole community kind of bounded, uh, banded together and we're supporting each other. And it was really good. I mean, sometimes the themes are more obvious than others. And sometimes some of the things work better than, better than other things do. But like overall that, that kind of attitude about like, be who you want to be. It's okay. We don't judge you and we can all get along no matter who you are. Like, it's a really awesome message. And I was really glad to see that. And um, I did really laugh quite a bit. I mean, there was more than a few good laughs. My son really liked it, too. So I would I would throw that one out as well for any parents who want to uh, expose their kids to, like, some really positive uh, cartoons, uh, which really, uh, I mean, more circuitously address issues. They don't direct it uh, as directly as, uh, they don't direct as directly. They don't address <laughs> things directly as Gordimer does, but it really does give you the sense of, like, oh, hey, I'm a trans kid, and... 
it's not super obvious, but I think it's kind of obvious and people still accept me and I still have problems, but people like me anyway and it's okay and we're all friends at the end. Or, you know, hey, this guy doesn't approve of me, but I like me and that's okay. So, I mean, really, really good stuff, really positive stuff. So I really appreciated it, even if it didn't always make me laugh as much as I wanted it to. So another good show uh, for families I would recommend, Danger and Eggs. Hopefully the humor will connect if it doesn't connect, it can be a little bit hard to watch because, man, joke after joke flopping is tough to sit through. <laughs> but when it when it does come together, it comes together pretty well. So I did I did dig all those shows. So that's it for me, man. Um, what have you been doing otherwise? I, I'm sorry. I talked like for so long. <laughs> no, don't apologize. Um, I do have a couple other things to mention that are not are not Netflix, TV or movie related at all. And as a matter of fact, they are not. Uh, photography or parkour or skateboarding related either. So we're diving into, I don't not really new territory, but um, uh, just something else, I guess, because I actually did stuff this weekend rather than sit around or take pictures. Um, as I've mentioned before in New Orleans, we there are a lot of like festivals in the area, like a lot of food festivals and, um, you know, a lot of food related things as well as not food related things. But anytime like a food fest comes up that sounds interesting, uh, we like to go. And today, Patrick and I went to Po'boy Fest. And for any... Ooh, you've got my attention. Yeah, it was, it was pretty rad. And the cool thing about it is... It was on Oak Street, which I know that means nothing to you, but um, Oak Street is, so you have like, where we, cause we live in the general like um, vicinity of New Orleans. We live uh, about 20-ish minutes west of the French Quarter, like the downtown area. And there is a little strip of restaurants and bars on Oak Street that is really close to our neighborhood. It's only like a five or 10 minute drive away. So it's like pretty close by. It's not like a like a downtown area. It's just like a nice, like little like strip of stuff to do. And so it was nice that this, uh, that Po' Boy Fest was there. Cause usually stuff goes on downtown and like one of the, like an Armstrong park downtown or in like Audubon park or like on the riverfront. And it's always like really busy and you have to drive into downtown and parking is a nightmare. So this was nice. Cause it was on Oak street, which was close. And I really like Oak street. And um, it was basically, uh, as you might imagine, uh, Po'boy Fest. It was a fest that had a lot of different food vendors, and they all had, or at least most of them had, different kinds of po'boys. And for anybody listening that does not know, a po'boy is like a New Orleans native sandwich. I think I've talked about this on the show before. It's kind of like a sub-style sandwich or like a hoagie-style sandwich, but the bread is a lot flakier. It's kind of like... Um, uh, I don't know, just kind of thinner and flakier and lighter. It's not, like, hard to bite into. It's just a nice, like, um, kind of flaky, um, like, sub-sandwich kind of kind of thing Is going on. kind of like a baguette, sort of? Yeah, kind of. Um, and uh, and in New Orleans, they're traditionally... I mean, they have po'boys f- for everything, but, I like, the traditional po'boy is, like, a shrimp po'boy or, like, a fried catfish po'boy, um, but you can find po'boys with, like, anything in them, um, which was definitely evidence today because... Uh, I mean, kind of the point of Po' Boy Fest was for different restaurants and different food vendors in the area to kind of bring out, like, you know, what was their, like, special po' boy that they could make for this kind of thing. Um, so there were plenty of, you know, shrimp po' boys and catfish po' boys and, you know, like, beef po' boys and stuff like that. But um, I had I had kind of a lame po' boy. I can't pretend like I went out of my element here. I had a buffalo chicken po' boy, which, like, isn't really particularly exciting, but it was delicious, so there's that. Um, and Patrick got, like, a... Like a some kind of 
fancy beef. I can't remember what it was now that I'm thinking about it. Um, but it was something that looked pretty good. It was like, it's kind of like Asian beef po'boy or something like that. And, um, and it was basically just really cool, uh, to go there. It was kind of crowded and it was also really hot. I made the decision to wear pants cause I couldn't like, we're in that part of the season in new Orleans where like on any given day, it could be like 80 degrees or it could be like 55 degrees. So like you never quite know where it's going to land. And I thought it was going to be cold. So I wore like jeans and a three quarter sleeve shirt and I was like sweaty the whole time I was there, but mm-hmm. slightly beside the point. Um, the other thing I want to talk about with it is that uh, it was kind of th- something that really rubbed me the wrong way going to Po'boy Fest was they like advertised it as like, oh, it's like a free like family event. Like it's a free event. You can come and you pay for the food and then, you know, that's it. But really, in order to buy any food from any food vendors, you had to buy a $5 wristband before you could get served. So like technically... It was free in the sense that, like, walking down the street of a neighborhood is free, but it wasn't free in the sense of, like, to actively participate or buy any food, you'd have to buy the $5 wristband first. So it got a little stupid because, like, some of the, I mean, the the po'boys were anywhere from, like, I don't know, like, $8 to, like, $15, but then you had to, you know, essentially add a $5 to that to get the, to get the wristband, but... I'm going to backpedal on this a little bit because uh, as we were going through the the fest and like looking at food and stuff, uh, we discovered that whenever you buy a wristband for it, uh, I don't know if it's all of the proceeds or part of the proceeds because um, I didn't ask, but uh, at least some of them, if not all of them, went toward an organization uh, in New Orleans called uh, Son of a Saint. And uh, Saints, that's like big in New Orleans because it's like the football team and, you know, there's like... Fleur de Lee everywhere uh, in the city representing, you know, like uh, the saints and everything. So there's a lot of like saints themed things in the area. And that, uh, and this is one of them, Son of a Saint. And the Son of a Saint uh, organization is for, it's basically like a mentoring program to help uh, like fatherless boys in the area. And you can like donate money or you can uh, like, I think you can fill out an application to be a mentor uh, in the area, or you can like work for them. I, I'm I'm not sure exactly um, how all that goes down because I only did a little bit of research for it. Um, but it was really cool because Patrick and I were standing around trying to decide what we wanted to do, and a couple of the kids came up. Uh, one uh, Jamal and Ryan. And they were probably like, maybe like 13 or so, maybe like 12. And they, they walked up and they were like, oh, hey, like, do, do you guys have a minute? And we were like, sure. And, you know, whenever people come up like that, you never know if they're going to be like, oh, can you give us money or something like that? But, um, you know, I was all ears for whatever they wanted to, to talk about. And um, they weren't asking for donations. They just like genuinely wanted to like talk to us for a minute and like kind of tell us what the charity was about and like what it was for. And they told us about how it was to help like fatherless boys in the area, you know, and like, uh, uh, kids who grow up in like a single parent household run by, uh, you know, just like, uh, the mom and about how the mentor program helps them, uh, you know, like mature and kind of have a different like perspective on life and, you know, the funds from the organization help like help them for tutoring and for studying and for, and for stuff like that. And it was just really nice. And so, you know, they came up and they talked to us for a minute and they shook our hands and introduced themselves and, you know, they asked us, they were like, you know, if anybody asks, like, you know, just kind of spread the word, you know, because we try to get the word out as much as we can. And I was like, well, you know what? I didn't tell them this, but I was thinking to myself, uh-huh, 
who co-hosts the podcast that can talk about this on the podcast. So this is my two cents in spreading the word about the Son of a Saint charity. So um, I know that, uh, like, on top of everything, there, especially in 2017, pretty much every five seconds, there's, you know, some kind of uh, charity or some kind of GoFundMe or something, you know, out there that needs, that, you know, needs and wants your attention and your money at any given point. But um, if there's anybody out there who is interested in donating to this organization, um, it is, it's called Son of a Saint and it uh, helps uh, boys that grow up fatherless in the New Orleans area. So I am just doing my part with my platform to spread the word about it. And, uh, but I had, I had a good time today and I was pretty excited about, um, paying the $5 for the wristband once I knew that that's what it was going to, uh, going toward helping. Oh, well, that's really cool. It sounds like a, a very much needed charity and I'm glad that, you know, I'm certainly happy. And it's funny you mentioned that because I listened to, uh, the Marvel uh, Puzzle Quest podcast every week. Those guys are pretty funny. Um, they don't just talk about that. But, I mean, they did like lots of jokes and stuff. But um, every week they just started um, talking about a different charity before they actually get to the show. And I was like, oh, you know, we should probably do something like that because I feel like, you know, I mean, talking about games and bullshitting is fine and it's <laughs> fun and we like to do it. But, you know, I mean, we, we could genuinely make some small difference in someone's life. I mean, just like you just did. Like you could talk about this. Maybe somebody who's in the area will hear about this charity and donate some money, or maybe they'll volunteer some time, or maybe, you know, I don't, it's just something, something could happen. I mean, you never know how these things line up or what connections you can make. So I think that's a, I'm glad you did that very much. And maybe, uh, maybe, uh, we can take this offline and talk about, maybe we could do some like one positive thing per episode to like help the world in some small way, perhaps. Sounds like a, um, a very positive, uh, perhaps lofty goal for the show, maybe. It's possible. It's possible. Like, can I? I, I, I want to just diverge for just one second here. You actually reminded me of a funny story that happened to me. Do you mind if I just kick in real quick? No, of course. Go ahead. So I was, I was at work, and I was coming, uh, I was uh, coming home, and I got in the elevator to go down to the parking garage, and then this, uh, this guy comes in, and he's got uh, a little baby with him. I don't know this guy. I mean, he's just like some rando on the elevator, right? So like he, uh, he just like looks over at me, and he's like, "Oh man, what you doing this weekend?" And I'm like, <laughs> "What?" Like, <laughs> Like, totally out of the blue. Like, I mean, and he seemed friendly enough, and it was fine. He had a baby, so I didn't think he was a creeper or anything. I mean, he seemed harmless enough, but I'm like, well, that's really weird, because people don't usually, you know, I don't know about what it's like where you're at, but, like, in Seattle, people don't usually strike up random conversations in elevators. I mean, that's kind of a weird thing to happen. So he kind of caught me off guard. And for usually I'd be, like, nothing, or just, like, to, to not initiate conversation, but for whatever, it was, like, Friday... I was on my way home. I was, you know, tired. I mean, for whatever reason, it kind of struck me that I'm like, okay, sure, I'll engage this guy for like five seconds until I get to my floor, right? So I'm like, oh, I'm just uh, texting my wife and she's uh, saying she wants to go out to eat tonight. And he's like, what? What you got to go out and spend money like that for where you can cook a good dinner at home? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, totally. And like, I just had no response, right? I was just like, I just didn't even know what to even say. I was so surprised, right? He's like, shit, man, watch this. And like, he pulls out his phone and I'm like, oh God, I gotta, what he's gonna show me some of his phone. <laughs> and the doors start closing. He totally kicks out his leg, stops the doors from closing because he doesn't want to lose signal to his phone, holds the whole door open. And the other people in the elevator are kind of just like absolutely silent, oh just like God. staring. So he's got his leg sticking out the elevator. He's like downloading his picture. He's like, look at this, look at this. Check out my cooking skills. And he showed me this picture and it was like, I mean, it looked like a steak that had some rice and potatoes and some. I mean, it looked it looked del fucking delicious. I'll say that much. I mean, 
I was like, damn, dude, that looks pretty good. He's like, oh, watch this, watch this. And then like flips his other picture. And he's got like a picture of ribs. He had a picture of chicken. And like it all looked like professional like food photographs like that you would see in a magazine. I was like, damn, dude, you're making me really hungry. These look really good. He's like, yeah, man, you got to go out to a restaurant. Just learn how to cook. And I mean, like I know how to cook. I know how to cook. I mean, I I was impressed with his pictures and he seemed like a friendly guy. But like I didn't want to like explain that, you know, even though I know how to cook and I'm a good cook and so is my wife. But sometimes you just want to, you know, whatever, whatever. I'm not going to get in with him. I'm like, we're in the fucking elevator. But I'm like, yeah, oh, man, that's, man, you look like, yeah, good for you, dude. And I'm coming over to your house. Save me some leftovers. And he's like, yeah. And he, like, got off the elevator on his floor, and that was it. So I don't know why he felt compelled to, like, talk to me about his cooking skills. I mean, this guy who, like, is nothing to me. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. And it was just so super, super random. But I just I just thought that was so fun. I mean, the best part is him, like, kicking the door open and, like, not letting <laughs> the doors close. You know, had to make that point that he knew how to cook. And, I mean, I wouldn't have doubted him anyway. I didn't care. But, anyway, weird stuff happens in Seattle, apparently. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's funny, though, because, like, uh, I mean, that is something that you don't see every day. Because, like, I feel like the majority of people, like, maybe I'm just speaking for myself here. But, uh, I mean, I feel like even if you live in a well-populated city, like, you know, Seattle's obviously very populated, uh, very dense. And, I mean, New Orleans is, I mean, if you're, like, in busy areas, it's very, you know, densely populated, uh, you know, like in the downtown or in the business district, too. Like, I mean, as a general rule, um, you know, I, I just don't really, like, talk to people. Like, it, it would be, a, it would take a very special circumstance for me to, like, initiate conversation with somebody that I don't know unless it was just like a quick like oh I love your shirt or something you know something like really quick like that um you know I would never look at some random person on the street and be like what are you doing this weekend because it's just weird um and like whenever people do that with me like I don't want I don't this is gonna there's like no way I can say this without sounding like kind of rude or kind of like uh inappropriate but like if I'm ever in a public place and somebody I don't know initiates conversation with me, like the first thing I think of is like, okay, this person's going to ask me for money. They're going to like, they're homeless or they're going to like ask me for $5 or they're going to ask me for like gas money or like lay some like sob story on me about how they are trying to drive to, you know, Texas and their car, they're they don't have any gas or something. And so I, I just like, always have this like defensive bubble up around where I try like, not to talk to people or not to like make eye contact with people. And, you know, on one hand, like I feel like a lot of people do it because you're just trying to like mind your own business and, you know, take care of yourself. But on the other hand, it's like sad that we live in such densely populated areas and people like don't, they just don't want to talk to anybody. You know what I mean? Like they're just like always on guard with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I tell you what though, man, I mean, that's true. And I'm a really private person in general And in some of the places that I work, I actually, like, actively don't want to talk to some of the people there for various reasons, usually privacy reasons or um, other other things. I mean, in my line of work, I have to maintain a certain line. So sometimes I don't want to talk to people on purpose. But I have to say, man, ever since uh, Trump got in office, I've kind of gone out of my way to be more of a more of an overtly friendly person, Uh, especially to like women or to people of color. Um, I just like, you know, I mean, I've I've never been like a mean person, but you know, I probably wouldn't initiate a conversation. If somebody had like wanted to talk to me, I'd probably be like, Oh yeah, whatever. And just, you know, wouldn't have really engaged. But since all this shit with Trump has gone down and we've seen like America become kind of a cesspool in a lot of ways, I've really gone the other way and I've tried to be more open. I try to smile at people more often. I'll, you know, I'll say, Hey, good morning to somebody that I totally don't know. Not that I want to talk to him, but just, you know, just like give him a friendly, 
hey, I acknowledge you as a person and I'm totally <laughs> not threatening to you and I accept you for who you are and I'm going to keep walking on my way and not molest you or bother you at all. You know, kind of one of those little things. Um, and, you know, I'll hold the door open for people or I'll try to, uh, you know, like if, uh, I don't know, just compliment them or something on something that's really innocuous or whatever. Like some dude had like these really shiny shoes. I'm like, man, those shoes are dope, you know. Just real, just real quick, just to... <laughs> Just to be friendly, because I feel like there's a, like, a large percentage of assholes in America right now, and I feel like we need to kind of counteract that. So maybe that's part of it for me. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I'm definitely making more of an effort. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe other people will follow suit. Maybe other people are reacting to that, too. Who knows? Maybe. I mean, there's always this idea of like paying it forward, that kind of thing, where if like somebody compliments you or somebody says hello, then you know some people have that mindset where they instead of internalizing it, they want to say something to somebody else to make them feel good. So I don't know, maybe you're setting off some kind of like secret chain reaction in the Seattle area of people like paying it forward in very small ways. I hope so, man. I hope so. And I have to say, this is a little scenario that runs through my head sometimes. I don't think I've ever told anybody this before, <laughs> but like I've always, so secret, secret telling time. This now. is like gonna, so, so video games exclusive right here. That's exactly <laughs> right. World exclusive. So like, there's this little fantasy that runs in my head sometimes where like, if I see some stranger that I don't know, uh, or maybe, maybe they're like a person in a building where I work, but I don't know them. I just like, you know, maybe I'll see him by the coffee cart or maybe I'll just see him in the elevator once in a while. I kind of go out of my way to say hi to him because I always think like, okay, so what if I say hi to this person, I go home and then tonight it's the fucking zombie apocalypse. And then tomorrow I'm running for shelter. And then the person who's in the safe area is that one random person that I said hi to. And if they have to choose between me and somebody else, I'd be like, wait, it's me. <laughs> that guy from your building. I said hi to you yesterday. Remember? I was real nice to you. Remember that? That's me. Let me in. <laughs> So I'm kind of hedging my bets. If the zombie apocalypse ever happens, I'm hoping there's going to be a large number of people in Seattle who will remember me as that smiling guy, and I'll be safe. Or in a much more grim... Well, I mean, a zombie apocalypse is definitely a grim scenario, but in a a perhaps more realistic grim scenario, you want to try to be friendly and be friends with as many people as you can because like, if you like break your leg and you have to start a GoFundMe because we don't have good healthcare in America, then you're basically going to be depending on all of your friends and family to like pay your GoFundMe bills for your medical bills. So maybe that'll, uh, maybe that person will be like, wow, he said hi to me in the stairs. I'll donate $5 to his broken legs. <laughs> you're not kidding, dude. You're absolutely not kidding. So yeah, that is, that is for sure. Uh, I guess long story short, it just, there's no incentive to not be a friendly person or to, to not be a good person. I think it only it only pays dividends if you are. And it, it, I think it can hurt you if you're not. I don't really see that there's any real downside to being a person who respects other people and is friendly to people in a general sense. Yeah, I sure as hell hope not. Because if being nice and respectful is bad, then where are we as people? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So anyway, sorry to sidetrack you, man. You got anything <laughs> else on your... Uh... Anything else on your agenda before we move <laughs> no, on? No, I don't think so. I just want to talk about I talk about the movie, and I wanted to talk about Poboy Fest and uh, and the Son of a Saint organization, and that's pretty much all the most relevant info for me lately. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. All right, we've been talking for a while. I think it's probably time to talk about some games. What do you think? I think we should start the show proper. Let's talk about some games. 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 <laughs> 